After the premieres of our interviews on Saturday night, we like to get together for a live show. It isn't Saturday Night Live, but it is Socialist Night Live. Hello and welcome to Socialist Night Live. Um, it's really good to have you here, whoever's here. Don't forget to uh, give this a share. Today we are here with um, two of our normal Socialist Think Tank team and also someone who's been on the show before, Tina McKay. So I'll go around and uh, I'll do it. I'll do it, you know, in any order. Tell you what, Rochelle, how are you? How are you doing? Hey, all right. I'm good, thanks. Excellent. What have you been up to? Um, well, it's been the last day of term today, last day of term. I gave none of my students homework, <laughs> which is a good thing, I think. Um, just happy, just happy to have a week away from screens. Ironically, she says to a screen. <laughs> That's how we all feel, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're back to the screen straight away. And Tina, hi, how are you doing? Not too bad. Good to see you again. Excellent to see you as well. So uh, have you been up to anything or just trapped in the house? Or? Yeah, but bit bit of trapped in the house and just trying to work through the readings for the Socialist Sunday School tomorrow, you know. So, yeah, eyes are tired. Oh, yeah. That, well, it's pretty exciting. That's a pretty exciting way to spend Valentine's Day, isn't it? It's very, very romantic to do some political education. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm an anti-Valentine's person anyway. My husband gets the <laughs> same card every year and then I just put it back in the envelope and store it away for the next year. <laughs> I'm so romantic. <laughs> um, James, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. That's what you've been up to. Didn't expect no, I, that. Uh, Actually, I, I, that, that was interesting about Neil's thing. He was the first person ever to ask me a question in the middle of it. So really? Never I done that. That was the first time. I, I think it's the first time anyone's ever asked me a question, but yeah. Um, so anyway, what have you been up to? Um, nothing much other than having a very eventful night with the with the, with the children. It was very hard to get them to sleep. Other than that, it's just general um, picking up the councillor stuff, um, trying trying to get that moving within uh, the Labour Party, basically, uh, get mo- things moving on social media. Yeah, you do loads on that, don't you? You like kind of social media for the all of a lot of County Durham, certainly all of Easton, aren't you? Oh well, I give advice. I don't do it. <laughs> uh, I've got my own. Uh, it's uh, East Durham make a difference, which I started, um, and I do a lot of that. And then I obviously do the stuff uh, in the um, um, social media and IT uh, for Easton CLP, and I do IT related stuff for my social listing tank as well. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks for that, James. Um, we've already got some chat chat things in, so I'm just going to quickly go over to the little chat box. It's probably too small to read that now that I think about it, but we've had Leanne Powell saying hello and uh, Isa Carr saying welcome everyone today. Um, Baz, do you think socialism will ever prevail? Do we think socialism will ever prevail? Not in the Labour Party anyway. <laughs> Not in the Labour Party, Rochelle? I says you've got to have hope at some point, haven't you? That's the only way it's going to prevail, isn't it? With hope. 
um, Lauren McHugh, good evening, and Maureen James, and uh, Maureen's lovely, really lovely, everyone's lovely, but uh, Maureen's really lovely, um, and uh, Mark Glungley hasn't done the reading yet, so he's uh, he's a bit um, he's a bit behind, like, oh, just listen to the audio, just listen to the audio that I recorded, it took hours. Seriously, that Hal Draper is going to take you near a fortnight to get through, I'd get listening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just in, in, put on maybe one and a half speed, make me sound like a smurf. Um, so. uh, that's a dig at me by the way inside joke just let you know <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's the only way uh, like um, there was a lot of gaps because he's reading it's, people read a lot slow when they're reading on a podcast I've, I've found um, and I just really didn't want to listen to like four hours worth of material in two sittings. I wanted it done in one. So I was like, put it on speed and a half just to get through. And as long as you like, um, all visual um, input it was blanked out. Basically, I was in a dark room, just earphones in. Um, it was quite easy. It sounded normal to me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Did it not make you do everything else? I was going to say, if you were listening with your headphones on and like washing up, like you'd do everything like super quick, wouldn't you? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up the tempo. Oh, yeah. Um, and just a, a couple more as well. Uh, Maureen said congratulations to me, so that'll be my story for today. I'm um, I'm secretary of the the Northeast Social Socialist Educational Association now, so another another thing to do. Um, but that's a that's quite a good one. It, it felt it was really interesting as well. We were talking about things, so we're probably going to talk about the Labour Party quite a bit tonight. The UK Labour Party. Because um, we've got viewers on from all over the world at the moment. We've got ISIS from uh, Pakistan, and and we've got I don't know. Like if you're from if you're watching or listening from somewhere in the world, just tell me where you are. That'd be really nice to, nice to hear. Um, so one of the well, <laughs> ISIS saying he likes cheer more here than socialism, so that's why. Um, <laughs> maybe like like in the background there. Um, yeah. So one of the things we were all talking about, and we're all talking about how. Uh, how we were anti-academy and we were certainly like we we had been for shutting schools in the UK and a lot of people were repeating that line that they said when they, you know it says no ifs no buts schools stay open oh, sorry ISIS from Bangladesh I do apologize um, so but the, but the no ifs no buts the Keir Starmer said about schools remaining open now teachers weren't saying that for a joke weren't saying that schools weren't safe because they thought it was funny or because they were lazy. It's harder to teach from home. But you can see it. If you what if you look at the graph, you can see that when schools are open, the COVID cases go through the roof. And now we're seeing thousands of deaths a day because of it. That that's not a no ifs, no buts case. It should have been safely. That should have been the case. Schools are about fifty percent open at the moment and cases have fallen. So obviously it was a concentration problem. It, it's impossible to socially distance in schools as they were open. So partially open schools with some learning from home and some learning in person actually does work. So why didn't we go for that model? Why wasn't the Labour Party pushing that? Any Anyone got any opinions on that? I think um, Keir Starmer is trying to... Uh pitch himself as not being, you know, in hock with the unions, you know, that he's a, he's supposed to be a, a leader in his own right. And that's another discussion about whether we think he actually is, although I would say no straight away without discussion. Um, 
but I think, you know, because um, he didn't want to be painted in the press as being, you know, the lefty who was, you know, steered by unions, although I don't think there's anything negative in that. The unions are people who represent um, the, the workforce, the, the, the represent the sector. And the teaching unions aren't just about the teacher's safety, the, the, the NEU in particular who, who did come out on this. It's about the, all of the staff, but it's about the children, but it's also about the community as well. And that's the good thing about unions. They aren't just focused on one thing. And I think he just didn't want to be seen and painted in the press or in any you know media as being you know under the thumb of the unions when you know we are the party or supposed to be the party that's the representatives of the unions and the workers you know yeah they like to think that the unions are this external body that don't have anything to do with things but people who that's unions are people who work in a place mm-hmm. it brings me back to Kate Green came to our regional conference and Kate Green's the Shadow Secretary of State for Education who replaced uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey, who had been doing, in my opinion, a really good job. She was absolutely sound in that role. And uh, she came came along and it was a, a room full of teachers. It was a virtual room, but a room full of teachers. And she came along and told us what teachers think. She was saying, oh, well, teachers have been telling me this. And like, well, we're trying to tell you this. She was like, well, no, but teachers have told me this. And like, we're all teachers. Stop it. <laughs> Stop telling us what we think, oh you know. And, you weren't and, the right type of teacher, though. No, no, because she'd been speaking to some, one person in her constituency, which meant more than all of the delegated <laughs> representatives from the northeast. And at I, you know, th- it was a democratic delegation. We're all there to represent people. And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, no not not you, not you, teachers." Um, James, James had a fun time in education, didn't you? What do you think? I had a very exciting time in education. Um, I just think it's uh, shambolic, to be honest, as usual. Uh, it's kind of just um, a signatory of uh, the current state of affairs, both in, in British politics in general, I think. Um, I, I, I do completely agree with Tina um, that uh, the current leadership is uh, very much trying to pivot themselves as not bound to unions um, uh, in that respect and trying to show a stern a, a stern face to the unions, tell them no, and then try to look for different forms of income and then realise, oh, no, and then run back to the unions later. Um, that's That seems very, very, uh, very much what's happening right now. Um, and it, my, my my opinion on schooling, uh, I just think we need to have a rethink and get more teachers in there. Get, and not in, under the current circumstances, I just think uh, there needs to be more resources available for, uh, especially like class sizes are huge now compared in comparison to, to even when I was at, at school and how many teachers have to deal with uh, how many students, that type of thing. Like the ratio is um, a, a, a lot wider now. Uh, and I think that needs to be resolved. Um, DC uh, Darren Can- Council didn't help in that respect, but uh, I, I, and, and while I was growing up, that is because I particularly remember that happening while I was in a pure referral unit. So uh, the assistant teachers inside of the rooms, uh, they, they were all like going on strike, and uh, there was a big, uh, big thing in Darren Can- Council at the time for that. Hmm. Um, Rochelle, you are going to be a higher quality candidate, aren't you, Ala David Evans? So you're you're sitting for county, you're, you're standing for county council, aren't you? 
and you're having your social media trolled and things, aren't you? Because um, because that's the way things work. So you're a teacher, and I'm sure you've got an opinion on whether or not schools should be open. But we'll ask you for your, your direct opinion on um, on the Labour Party on this one, because that's not particularly fair on you at this time. But uh, you know, what do you think about what's going on in schools? Um, you know what I think's really strange: the fact that. You've got all of these people in unions and everyone in a union, everyone in the teacher's union is funnily enough a teacher or a support worker or somebody who works in schools and the people who, you know, live these experiences. It is their job to go in and teach those kids and everyone else seems to tell them that they're wrong. Their opinions are wrong. You know, that's not happening. Oh, is it not? So my yesterday didn't count. Like it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's almost like we, we only count when, you know, we're key workers and we do this and we do that, but don't ask us how our day was. Heaven forbid, you know, we tell you that schools aren't safe and there's too many kids in the class or schools aren't closed. Just ask us those closed questions, not those, you know, the big questions, the open questions, the how could, the why should that should be asked. It's madness. And you'll notice they've not once thought we'll get like a working party together. We'll get assistant heads, we'll get, you know, teachers, we'll get um, any, you know, any form of body from schools and we'll ask them what they think is the best way to open schools. They've not once done that. I don't know in any company where people would make a decision without going and asking other people what they thought. Where's the research? It's, it's, I think it's mad. You know, they've, they've had a ye- over a year now oh, yeah. of, of this virus and there's just been absolutely no planning on anything whatsoever. And you think we're a year down the line and they're now only talking about quarantine hotels. It's like, I'm sure other countries were doing this this time last yeah. year. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, if you get if you got a whole like you're talking about getting, you know, a working body of teachers together, which would be sensible you get the unions together that they could have come up with a plan of how education could have been delivered in a much better way but that's what I would have expected the Labour Party to be saying and that's where my anger comes from that Keir or should I give him his proper title Sir Keir has done nothing but say I support the government whatever the government do I support and you know he could have been standing there saying let's get a group together let's do this and let's not let our children our our teachers and our communities down and that's where my anger comes from that there was an alternative and he's chosen not to do it for you know optics or whatever you know whatever focus group has said you know to do whatever and it's just it's not the right thing to have done and yeah, he's just, yeah, I think, you know, everybody's been left down with this really poor approach. Hmm. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally agree. But uh, <laughs> we had a question in about um, Brexit as well. It's like, uh, what did, um, so we're still, um, we're still scratching our head about Brexit. Any impact of socialism there? So the type of Brexit we got, I would say, wasn't really, um, it wasn't a socialist Brexit. I'm not saying that there couldn't have been a socialist Brexit. Um, there could have been a Brexit that kind of renounced what the European Union did with regards to uh, immigrants being, you know, patrolled in the Mediterranean with gunboats. Or, but then we just decided to move our gunboats to the English Channel. That's that's how we decided. Well, that's how Pretty Patel decided to do it. So um, yeah, it's it's 
it's not really a socialist endeavor. It could have been, but it certainly it was probably disaster capitalist, if anything. It was probably to try and short the pound or, you know, that kind of thing or Is short it, against the UK. I, I always like looked at or, or hoped for a socialist Brexit, right? Um, but really, could there ever be a socialist Brexit? That's the argument some people make about staying in the union, right? Um, is the whole point about uh, socialism is uh, deep within a collaboration. So we should be collaborating with our partners and border partners in, in terms of trying to at least uh, converge on some sort of union. Um, uh, and in that respect, yes, we the, the, the union that existed was not a socialist union um, at its core. It was still very fundamentally capitalist. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's the same as the, the same argument as people make for staying in the Labour Party. Would you not try to work from within to uh, try and gain reform uh, from within the Labour Party, or would you rather try and do it from without outside or by other means? Um, and I think in this respect, what we've done as a nation is uh, choose another alternative way than what we were bound to. But that was influenced by disaster capitalism, as you said. It, there was a lot of factors at play other than this um, societal consciousness that was under the stress of economic damage from um, uh, so much uh, poverty. And uh, I'm not even getting the word, and it's really annoying me. Um, apologies. Uh, Shall we come back yeah. here on the word there? Yeah, Jim? yeah, we'll so come back. You, you definitely um, it, made a good so, point on it. Yeah, it was just that it, it, the fact that it, it, it's disaster capitalism and it, societal norms and the societal stress um, uh, became a breaking point. And uh, I, I, I do believe that everybody just pointed the finger at the EU when it wasn't the EU blame. It was the economic damage that we've had off austerity. Thank you. There's the word I was looking for um, yeah. for the past uh, like 11 years now. Um, and, and it's not just that, it, it, it's been there ever since uh, ever since the industrialization. It's only just been exacerbated over the last 10 years with the economic damage. That's all I'm trying to say. I think Thank people you. forget as well about the, um, about the economic damage and, and the, the sort of toxic influence the UK had in the EU. Like it was George Osborne who voted against, and George Osborne and David Cameron's government, who voted against any sanctions for those people in 2008 and any uh, any bankers' bonus tax or anything like that. You know, they made sure that the bankers were not held to account for that. And they, they really... So the UK had a toxic influence within the EU, you know. The EU would never have done that anyway, because this is where I differ mm. from James. And I think it's, it's more so now, I think, having looked on, on you know, the sort of... Of what the EU is. The EU is a capitalist organization. It was never going to allow socialism. And as much as I wasn't, uh, you know, at the time, I suppose, really, you know, uh, supporting Brexit, I'm actually now on the other side of it, you know, a Brexit supporter purely because we would never have been able to have achieved socialism if we were in the EU. The EU prevents anybody from creating socialism that's in that's at its core and um i think knowing you know what they have inflicted upon nations such as greece and ireland and 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 will and, and italy and will continue to do so it's it, it's it's designed to make sure that socialism doesn't happen if we had have got a brexit if we'd have 
you know, there's a lot of ifs here. If Labour had won the election, if we had got Brexit with Labour, we could have seen, you know, the the uh, possibility of socialism. But if you look at the the agreement that uh, the terrible agreement that Boris Johnson has signed, he has enshrined in that that you know there there are. Um, diktats from the EU and, and that that um, would would be more in line with the Tory party anyway, which prevent things like socialism. You know, it, it prevents people from it prevents companies, it prevents governments from you know um, stepping in whenever government whenever companies are doing um, not doing not doing the too well. You know, and you, stuff like that. Yeah, I can, yeah, I'm not disagreeing that the structures. Are, are, are there against uh, trying to stop a socialist society? That's what I'm saying. Uh, that was not my my personal argument. I was mm. trying to make the argument of that's what some people uh, were, um. were trying to make the argument to stay within the EU, and and uh, I, I was trying to make that that same comparison. That's all. Um, yeah. It wasn't a, a personal viewpoint. If it was my if it was my complete right, I would prefer to, to have left. Uh, a, 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 on uh, the, the Labour new, Green New Deal, to be honest. I yeah. think that was the way forward, especially now uh, looking um, in hindsight, that is now that uh, even Biden or somebody's elected for, uh, over in the US. Um, and I think that Green New Deal would have been so, at least uh, on the table, even with Biden, um, never mind uh, the other prospects if Jeremy Corbyn did win uh, the, mm. the election. Yeah. Well, wasn't his uh, oven-ready deal just copied and pasted <laughs> from, like... Do you remember? James will know. I don't remember the actual words that were in it. But in the final draft that he signed and put out in public on, like, page second from the end, he had all of these um, computer programs that were, like, big in the 1990s. Oh, yeah. What yeah, was it? And he hadn't even bothered to change them. Yeah, Netscape, yeah. Security, yeah, yeah. Uh, encryption, <laughs> basically. It was going down uh, to something like back in the 80s. I, I can't remember even if it was, like, they were, they were explaining TSL or something like that. Yeah, they were explaining, yeah, like, some sort of uh, basic, really basic protocol of um, uh, online encryption, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was that was the thing we were saying. Oh well, uh, you know we better get on Alta Vista yeah, and research the best way to, bet <laughs> the best way to do Brexit is to look things up on Alta Vista. Um, yeah, but Laura, <laughs> uh, we're getting plenty of um, we're getting plenty of comments in, so I'm going to come to the comments now for a second. So um, this one, um, and I don't know, people at home probably can't really see that that clearly, but. Um, We've had uh, Isaac Hargens asked about how do we know the subject of live from the title of a Periscope broadcast, the specific topic of the broadcast. Basically, this is just us talking. So this is just a few socialists getting together and answering questions. And we've got some general themes that will go on, but, you know, it's not really a, a themed discussion. It could be anything. Basically, we're just having a drink and having a having a talk. So it's quite nice. <laughs> um, um some people may have noticed that the the better daily is not on tonight. Um, the better daily is going to learn the graphics at some point. I promise you, and, and then uh, and then then she can present. That'll be fun. Uh, but she's commenting a lot in the comments there. She's doing a really good job there. And there was some sort of poll about whether I need my hair cut. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll vote yes. You I think go I like do. Me. You can go like me. Yeah, I think Laura should give you a number two all over. Everyone used to think that um, I didn't want to do that. So one time in my school, I, I said, oh, no, I'll not do that. I'll never do that. Oh, I will for charity. So I raised 700 quid. 
for mm. um, I think it was was it for Mind or, or something. Um, it was or, or maybe can't remember exactly which charity, but it was certainly a mental health charity, which is quite I nice. I think you should do it. that. I think you should. Oh no, put no, a it was cancer research. See, it was. Yeah, you should put a poll up to see what charity you should yeah. go for, and then just get it all just off. Scalp myself. I don't mind yeah. to do it. I'll, I'll, actually, I really hate it, and uh, please don't make me get do the such a thing. And all, you you know. could donate that. Yeah. It's pretty long. I've got yeah, the, it is. The, yeah, I've got the proper head shavers. I'll, I'll show you the ones what you can buy, and they're actually quite comfortable. So you just shave it off normally with a with a regular <laughs> shaver, and then you use that, and then like grind <laughs> it down. It's like grinding on your head like this. So <laughs> you basically tell me to sand my head. <laughs> just get myself sanded down. So um, <laughs> just sand off my head. <laughs> um, we've had a we've had a really cracking comment as well in as well um, saying, "Is this time for revolution or rejuvenate?" According to modern socialism, I think it's time for educate. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's maybe all three. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think that people are ready for a revolution. I think the the type no. of revolution that people are ready for is not going to cut it at the moment. They're, yeah. they're ready for, I don't The know. suggestion of a revolution. Yes. Like the, the idea of it. Like that's the, that's the first bit. Persuasion. I think the, well, look at, look at the way people reacted to everything that happened politically in the UK. You've got all these awful things happening and every time socialism's blamed, it's like, oh, it's all socialism's fault. Bloody socialism. It's like... <laughs> Do you not think God. as well, though, that um, I, I find it, it maybe it's an English thing, you know, and I'll probably get shot for commenting about English things, you know, with my accent at the moment. Uh, maybe that wasn't a good say, phrase to use either. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but do you not think it's like that stiff upper lip will just take it on the chin? Oh, I'm getting paid £3.90 an hour, but I'll just take it on the chin. You know, it's like nobody gets angry. Nobody's. You know, and this is what we need to see a little bit. And think maybe that's where, you know, Paul, you're right. And what, you know, what we're trying to do with like the political education is to get people to channel that instead of getting angry at, you know, someone who's at the same level as you or someone who's not doing well or punching down, you know, is that that anger channels in through the political education to go, do you know what? Let's do something about this. Let's do something that's actually going to achieve something rather than, you know, just getting angry for the sake of getting angry. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, I yep. agree with that. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yep. I'm not used to people agreeing with me so much. No, <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's something wrong here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're need an antagonizer in the group. That's, that's usually me, but you are all kind of just like agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is how this is how we're all feeling at the minute. We're getting really yeah, for, and p- people in the chat are agreeing with you as well. So I agree, Tina. If we were French, we'd be out on the streets now. Um, the word revolution itself is so scary through history. I think that it's a problem, though, isn't it? It's like I've, I've, I've made the mistake of um, getting Thomas Piketty's uh, capital and something, capital and something on, on audiobook. It's like 40-odd hours long, and I'm like halfway through. Um, but there's some really interesting things about what happened over time and why revolutions happened mm. and stuff and the power of the power of capital and capitals like the only time capital really started to fail was during the wars when they had no choice. They were like, well, if we're going to win this war, we're going to have to do socialism. We're going to have to do socialism because that's do the only social- thing that makes sense. Do a form of socialism. Do a socialism. Yeah, that's it. I like it. I like it. I like that. Do a socialism. <laughs> but um, the, 
you know, they were going to do that and then they had to do that. And then that is why the Labour government were able to bring in those reforms, because those reforms actually helped us. But, um, you know, it hasn't really worked out that well in the long term because capital has come back. Um, and now wealth, again, is way more important than work, far more important than work. And I think most people agree with these basic socialist principles. Work should mean more than inheritance. So if you're born rich, that shouldn't mean that you stay rich forever. You know, it's fine to be able to give your kids a good start in life. and st- Everyone should have that little bit of stability and a little bit of a start. But, you know, that shouldn't be the reason that you you stay rich for the rest of your life is because you were born rich. And if you work hard... Or that you've you got know, a trust fund. Yeah, trust <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. if you work hard, that should be rewarding, and it isn't. And I think these are the things about... The three things about socialism is those two and the idea that we need to do it from the bottom up. People need to be involved in this. And those are the things that are hidden in socialism. That is, the, the, all the right ever do is argue against those three things and make mm. it sound like socialism something else. Like it's like we're going to take something from you or we're going to, you know, we're going to tell you but what it's to always, do. It always comes down to divide and rule, doesn't it? It's, you know, you, if you divide the masses enough, you know, the danger is, is waylaid and the rich keep getting richer, you know. I think... Um, that's what we've got to get more wise to as as the you know as uh, as the sort of the working class the ordinary people the people that you know um have the power if we could you know just sort of get it together and 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 stop being distracted and you know this is why you know there's so much you know guff on tv to distract you this is why you know there's so much stuff to like you look at the newspapers or if you can call them newspapers and you you, you, know, you see what you're being fed as news and it's designed to just distract and make you angry at certain things rather than looking at you know what the real issues are and i just think you know it, that's why it's so good to see so many alternatives at the moment and i think um i'm just i don't know if you've spoken about this before because you know um, worry about things like GB News that's about to start, which is going to feed the right wing exactly what they want to hear and make them more angry and you know distract them even more from you know what the real not just what the real issues are but the causes of those yeah. issues. You know they, they might talk about the issues, but they're not going to discuss how things happened, why you know why it is this, or they're going to give you know I, I imagine it just to be full of a load of scapegoats and you know let's blame this one and let's blame that one. It's, I don't know if any of you have you ever seen i mean i have never been able to watch a full episode of it but there's a i think it's on sky news or something called is it the pledge or something where there's a few of them sit around and they discuss loads of topics a bit like this i suppose but not as you know reactionary and you know it just feeds that um the need for people to have a scapegoat and get that reactionary sort of response rather than you know looking at the real issues and and presenting something as as uh with fact rather than just sort of spin and and just trying to garner a specific response. I'm seeing that occurring not just on like just in particular groups of people. I think that's just where you, you see it highlighted. For in general, this is it's very much a concept that you as a as a software developer mm-hmm. know full well what's happening when you're creating an online platform that you create these dedicated teams that create these feedback loops you call them where they they come back around and giving you dopamine hits 
Um, so every time you like a person's page or uh, like a person's uh, photo, oh, what's that? And it's an algorithm to make you do it. And then you're basically linked up to this like uh, internet addiction. And it really is that bad, like psychologically and um, theoretically, that's what's happening in your brain. Um, they, they're creating these loops on purpose and then you get in the feedback loops and you can see it in the data where they're sitting in and uh, they're being on the app longer because they're getting more interactions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it, that, that, that's a lot to do with software development and marketing. And, and it's, it doesn't just happen online. I'm seeing it happen everywhere in every fabric and space of society this is happening is where you get isolated echo chambers and groups of people all around throughout societies. And then uh, they, they, they're creating their own little feedback loops. And then this is boiling up a lot of tension and not a lot of people are talking to each other and actually breaking down them barriers and saying, explaining, okay, like the, the, the question what we always ask is what is socialism or like what is conservatism? Like we don't answer and respond to these questions as enough as what we, we should do anymore. Like uh, it, it does feel like there's a lot of division that has been for a while now, and especially in British politics. Um, and, and I think it, that resembles a lot of the uh, uh, effects of all this uh, uh, technological advancement and uh, constant dopamine hits. And it's the next, uh, what's the latest next thing? Uh, what's the latest iPhone? What's the latest T-shirt? What's the latest fashion? Like it's all this type of stuff. It's just becoming um, a very intensified um, is what I'm trying to say. And it, like, I'm just trying to say, it's not just in that particular group that you were discussing. It's every group of society I'm trying to say, that I'm saying every type of community uh, there is. Uh, I'm seeing this uh, throughout. So uh, I don't know personally how to solve that. I just think uh, uh, tech, tech companies have way too much power. I think that plays a real big part. Uh, I don't think our society has ever had the ability to be able to communicate like we have um, from somebody with different opinions and other side of the continent instantaneously. Um, and I think it, 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 there's people taking advantage of that for profit and we need to curb it because it's really uh, disrupting our fabric of society. Tend to agree yeah. with that, James. Tend agreed. to agree again. We all we agreed. Agreed. It's like agreed. one of those meetings where everyone just like makes a speech. <laughs> like then everyone goes, it. yeah, agreed. Agreed <laughs> at the end of it. Right. So I'm, I'm now going to move on to something. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about patriotism. Now, we've heard a little bit about this with um, Mr. Mr. Keir Starmer. Oh, sorry, Sir, Sir Keir Starmer, um, who is... Uh, who has decided that wearing a flag or, or having a flag behind him is an important thing. And um, one of the things like, you know, one of the, when I did an interview with Paul O'Connell from the Political Education Project, there was a lot of stuff that went on outside the conversation. So we've got clips from outside the, the main interview that were really, really good. This was just me and him, him chatting. So there's like, I think about halfway through, there's me going, no, no, something like really looking like an idiot. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna whack that on and uh, and see what people think. 
obviously the the US government and the EU backed the coup against Morales and forced him from power and then a right-wing uh, dictatorship came into power and murdered a bunch of trade unionists and socialists and was imposing fairly draconian laws now if you know the history of Latin America you know how that script goes you know what I mean the sort of unions are decimated the movement collapses and you have a 10, 20, 30 year dictatorship that restores the status quo in some way that didn't happen this time didn't happen in Bolivia right they bounced back within a year won all the elections got rid of the coup Morales returns sort of now the reason for that is that the MAS long before it was a political party was a movement of indigenous groups trade unionists and working class organizations and also they have from the very start made political education a central part of what they do so they go to the back arse of nowhere in the Andes and they go to all the big cities around uh, Bolivia and they've done political education for years right so that when their movement was attacked in a very vicious and a very sort of calculated way they didn't collapse and dissolve right they were solid, they were rooted, the foundations were right, and they bounced back. And so part of what we're trying to do with the political education project, ambitiously, long-term, is to build those foundations. That It wouldn't matter if there was ever another Jeremy Corbyn again. That wouldn't be important, because we'd be doing something else. And we'd build up networks of people and connections with people and an understanding of what politics demands of us and what we need to do and how we can go about it. And then we can affect that in the trade unions or at a local level in an election, whatever it is, but that we're more adequate than the next challenge that comes their way and that's that's the crucial thing you know and that's where we have to be going and the thing about it is it's frustrating because as i said i'd love a general strike tomorrow i'd love us all to be able to be i'd love to be at that tipping point where we're getting ready to see this sort of government buildings and everything but we're nowhere near it i mean most of us can barely maintain strikes in our workplaces let alone the general strike <laughs> so so we just have to do this as, as much as the impulse is to fucking... Because, again, we all understand the scale of what's happening. I mean, as much as the impulse is to get stuff done now, we have to take that moment. And I think another example I sort of like referring to is Lenin at the outbreak of World War One. He's in a library in Switzerland reading Hegel at the outbreak of World War One. He's not straight to the barricades in Moscow or anywhere else. Uh, because we do need that period of reflection and that period of clarifying our understanding not again coming up with the answer and going here's what we need to do go and do it but to have these conversations and to see what works in britain as well i mean this is one of the things when lisa and andy and people like that are cynically talking about british values and blah 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 i always say that what the left should be doing in britain what we have to be doing is not going oh that's racist the dog whistle and it definitely is and they're definitely cynical but we have to be celebrating the radical british tradition and we have to be taking socialism and vernacularizing it making it a common sense in britain today linking it up to this history of sort of as you mentioned there the cafes you know what i mean the, the sort of mutual aid and support uh unsung heroism of working class women and working class communities the miners the libraries all these traditions that we have in Britain and we all draw upon we have to celebrate that so when they say yeah British values or British tradition well, yeah that's what I'm interested in that's stuff let's build on that and that's the foundation part of the foundation we have going forward because you have to give people a sense of hope and sort of purpose as well so you know, I forgot to take off the, the little bit of music at the end there but um, so you know any thoughts on that, anyone who wants to come in? Rochelle, any thoughts on what we were saying there? Um, sorry, I was reading that really long comment that Anthony's put on. That, uh, yeah, I haven't been able to read that yet, so bring it. I know, bring in, I was uh... going through it. I was I was listening and I was reading at the same time. <laughs> I'm feeling really bad now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I know Tina's got something to say about this. 
Oh, well, I've got something to say about everything, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I, I see, I, I'm 100% in agreement, um, you know, with what Paul's saying there, but just, just to bring it back a little bit to um, the sort of superficiality of what Keir Starmer's doing, and I think, um, you know, that not only has that been um, sort of picked up by, you know, everybody, you know, on the left, and, and certainly within the... Um, the wider sort of electorate is that you know there, there's no substance to anything it's just um you know wrap yourself in the flag and that's that that's you know you being i love the country and I, and, I, and that's being you know patriotic and i just you know i think maybe you know my sort of um upbringing you know in northern ireland um sort of offers a, a different insight to the the representative sort of uh what Keir's trying to do with with flags and um so for me you know there's a sense of you know the the union jack is it can be an exclusionary flag you know it doesn't encompass you know everybody in 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 the nation or in the uk um whichever he's talking about when he says you know the nation because is he talking about northern ireland um is he is he talking well, he usually about says britain Scotland? He usually yeah. says Britain, which doesn't include Northern Ireland. So yeah. yeah, you know, and this is the thing, um, you know, and it, there's not only that, but you know, if you go back to when um, you had the racists, you know, who, who in the seventies and eighties were there, there's no black in the Union Jack, and you know, many people, it's not to a flag doesn't represent just a nation of the time. A flag, you know, represents a lot of you know the history and how the flag was used, and I, I think it can be really it's not just about um, being PC and it's it's not about um, trying to be, you know, what, what they would call the right, you know, using it, the term woke. It's not, it's, it's about looking at the substance of something. And I think for me, patriotism has nothing to do with what flag that you, you drape yourself in. Patriotism is, is how much you want to look after the people within your nation how much you want to make sure that your nation leaves no one behind. And yes, that is the socialist approach, but isn't that, you know, what anybody who is a true patriot, if you want to use the word, is, is someone who wants to make sure that the systems within a nation are fit for everybody and to make sure that everybody is looked after. And I just don't like this superficial, you know, and, you know, Paul's right, what, what he talks about the glue labour approach, which is, sometimes I think it kind of fetishizes what the working class are, you know, this image of, you know, oh, we're all, you know, everybody's, you know, flat cap and, you know, white working class and, you know, there, there's nothing else but that and everybody, you know, maybe smokes a pipe and drinks a pint down in the working man's club, you know, and the working class tradition is so much more than that. And, and I think that's what Paul is tapping into and, you know, looking at, you know, if you go back um, into, the 70s and 80s, you know, in Belfast, you know, through the Troubles, you know, the women were really strong advocates, you know, in their communities and, you know, really were relied upon and, and did an awful lot, you know, I think if you haven't looked into it, it's certainly something to look into. Um, but I think it, all that rich tradition of the working class, what we should be proud of, what we should be proud of, you know, as, as all nations within the UK, is what the working class has achieved through being communities and, and looking out for each other. And all that gets lost by just a superficial, let's wave a flag or let's have a flag behind me. And, you know, we're not America, you know, and this is what they're trying to do is if like, 
oh, you should be, you know, proud. If you're not proud of the flag, you're not proud of your country. And I just think that's a load of shit. You know, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, going to, it's not, you're not in any way saying you're not proud of a country by not flag waving. I just think that, you know, there's an awful lot to that. And as I say, growing up in Northern Ireland, where flags are painted on curbstones and, you know, different flags represent different things. It just, it's so inane. It's banal. It's not, you know, anything other than uh, a cheap way to, you know, sort of upset some people, but gain what they think is is another it, it's I think it's patronizing to think that there's a lot of voters that will just say, oh, isn't that marvelous? Keir loves his country because he's waving the Union Jack. And I just think it's insulting. I really do. When there's so much more that you could make sure that you're doing to um, reflect patriotism. I was trying to, you know, but while you were talking, I was trying to like go through um, because there, there's a there's a, a, a tweet and I've, I've shared it quite a quite a few times, actually, from. From Jeremy Corbyn when he talks about what patriotism is and I, mm -hmm. I can't actually I can't get it now while I'm talking I'll probably get it at, you know by three o'clock in the morning or something you know? I, I, I know the one it's a it, it's a good one I was just interested in what you were saying there about like you know growing up in Northern Ireland and what flags mean and one of the interesting things that you know you sent me that video which, which is about the flags and um and flag. and <laughs> <laughs> and and the interesting thing about me was when when they said that the people who supported you know um, a united Ireland then took on the Palestinian cause then in retaliation the people who wanted to unite with Britain um, you know stay stay in Britain kind of took on the Israeli flag and that was really weird and we've seen that happen like you know we 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 say so if you go on an anti-racism march we often see the israeli flag waved and i don't think those people have any care for israel you know if they bring in an israeli flag to when they're being racist and they're carrying an israeli flag and i know tommy robinson's very into the israeli flag and it's just really interesting what a flag can do and, and whether whether israeli people would be proud of the fact that a known racist is is waving their flag. You know, it's certainly it's, not. But I think, yeah. um, in the terms of Northern Ireland, that's basically in the in the sort of terms of occupied territory. So the occupied territory, you know, that that's where the mm. the link to you know um, you know the Palestinian flag will be versus you know the Israeli flag. But I think um, that you know it. it flags can you know they become symbols but it, it's so many other you know it's like anything any signifier you know we put our own connotations onto things um but for me i think it's just more I, I just find it you know it's distasteful to do what he's done and i don't think there's i've no problem with people if they want to wave a flag wave a flag but the leader of the labor party you know should be trying to be inclusive you know, and not exclude people, but also be, you know, just be a bit more. I, I just, I, I just think, you know, it, it does smack of someone who sat in a, um, you know, in a focus group and being told that if you do this and you do that, you'll get loads of people in the north to vote for you again. And I just think it is really patronising. You know, you guys are in the area that, you know, that that he's trying to woo back in. Are you, you know, sort of impressed by that approach? Oh, no, I'm not. We wooed. <laughs> Um, I do think it does have some sort of connection to people, and this is where you're on about where it, it, um, where you sit. He sat in focus groups, and then that's where he's heard it from. 
Um, not him, but obviously the teams around him, etc. Um, in respect to patriotism, I can see it from my perspective. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and see a little bit about mine. So when I when I was growing up, it was just little things like you're on about flags as symbols, that type of thing. Um, and at the time of like the industrialization, when I was growing up, where there wasn't a lot of economic um, uh, prosperity, that type of thing, it, it, little events like um, the World Cup, for example, was like extremely uh, big in our area. We would all literally the whole of our street on Station Road in Easton Colliery, right? We'd have English flags all the way from top to bottom. Not even kidding. It was crazy for stuff like that. And then we would bring out our TVs uh, on, on the front of the road and we'd have a huge party. It was about 60 of us, you know, that type of stuff. And then you would have like coronation events and stuff like that. Uh, they were still really big in our area. Um, so in, in respect of bringing out patriotism, I, I think there is a sense of community involved there um, whereby uh, it, 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 it's engraved into particular regions of the country, um, especially those that have served in military backgrounds and also the, uh, it's just those... Um, yeah, it's mainly, it is actually mainly those who have either been in very poverty-stricken areas or military backgrounds that end up having uh, a lot of um, patriot characteristics in their communities is what I'm trying to explain. But there's, so no, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's but, nothing wrong with that, but does a flag... No, I'm not saying it does. I'm just trying to to, to go through uh, just a quick thing. So um, and then so uh, just to explain the context of it all. So like we've got like like statues and monuments, and then the, these places are very, like actually quite new in our area. So like seeing you've got like Tommy the statue of World War mm -hmm. One, um, and then like you've got other memorials like all the cenotaphs and stuff. And like I go around and I do videos for all uh, uh, for a few people, and then go and do stuff like that relating to like memorials and stuff. Um, and uh, in particular events like Remembrance Days and stuff like that. So, uh, in, in usually the flag is very involved because it is, sim is symbolic, right? Um, and and when I've seen, I can see the focus groups understanding of how that can represent particular uh, particular groups, but they are they are not that stupid. The working class is not that dumb. They know that's what their people. That's what they know. That's what's happening. It's been highlighted. They, all of a sudden now they've got a flag in the background where, like a couple of years previous, they never. Oh well, big ideas. Everybody knows what's happening. Um, I, I don't think nobody's delusioned about it. In my, I've always said in my personal opinion, I don't really care if it's symbolic. If you want to have it in your background, have it in the background. It's personal opinion. Um, because you're going to end if 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 you're leader of the Labour Party, you're going to end up being uh, uh, leader. <laughs> uh, you're going to end up being prime minister, and you're going to have to do conferences and stuff, probably with them in the background, whether you like them or not, uh, at national events for things like when you're going over to the US or you're trying to do diplomatic missions and stuff like that. You're still going to have to have it in the background, mm, whatever. In my opinion. Um, but I do see how that's exclusive for people like yourselves. I'm not diminishing your back uh, uh, for people in Northern Ireland or anything like that. Um, I'm just saying from my type of background, yeah. I can see how it can connect in ways, but the working class in our area are not that stupid. Yeah, but he's not delivering anything else. It's, it, you know, I'm totally fine if he wants to wave a flag, but 
he's not offering anything else. There's no other substance there. It's just as if like, oh, well, we have the flag and that'll be fine. That's me being patriotic. And I think there's no substance behind it. And that's where the danger is that, you know, the cynical sort of approach of just waving a flag and people will be, oh, that's him being patriotic. And I don't think that is. I think, you know, it, you need to have the substance as well. And fine, wave whatever flag you want, but offer something else as well. You know, offer the, the policies, the direction. How are you going to do anything for the people of the nation? Because waving a flag isn't, I mean, I can't go down to, you know, Tesco's and pay for my bills by waving a flag. They're not going to accept a flag, you know, and if I'm trying to pay for, you know, rent or whatever it is I'm doing. But my quality of life will change through the policies that the government, you know, offer. And I want to see that. And that's, you know, there's, there's nothing there other than the flag. I want to see that more than anybody else, yeah. just as much as you do. Oh, no, <laughs> I agree with you. I just think he's not, you know, yeah. he, you know his approach, it's that's just... Fun. Um, his focus is trying to win over people to win the election and then do something when he gets there. And I, I, I think he, it, it, personally, um, I, it, there's no clear plan um, after they get in. Um, I, it, it, it's all about electioneering at the moment yeah. to make sure they can try and reach as many people to get as many votes to get them in um, and then wing it from there. That's the way I see it at the moment um, because he's not offering a clear vision, as you said. I think the thing with sim like symbols is... You can't force a symbol on people. The people back a symbol up as a collective and, and it becomes this organic thing where like as a developmental, you know, it's like Prince. Remember when Prince changed his name to a symbol? <laughs> doesn't work, does it? Like the people choose Apart from we made a cool guitar out of it though. Well, there is that as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't, but telling, telling people to like something doesn't work. And, and it's the same with symbols, like people will pick their own symbol because that's what they want. And, it, it, you know, they're not gonna follow, I don't know. Yeah, I get, I get, I get where you come from there. You know, it's, a, it's that emptiness, isn't it? It's, it's what it means, you know, if you are patriotic, what are we patriotic about? Are we proud of like, you know, there's a mixed history of everyone. There's like, People think certain things about Churchill. People think Churchill was a great wartime leader. They don't mm. really take into consideration what Attlee did at that time. They don't mm. take into consideration that the UK wasn't really acting anywhere near alone. Like, uh, you know, there was the USA and there was the Rus Russia. And the UK was sort of almost like, you know, a really huge, important part of that geographically and, and what the people did. But physically, uh, with bodies and things like that, it wasn't necessarily the same uh, impact and certainly not money wise and then the loans that they took out with the USA there's all this context that people are like oh no no it was just Churchill he just came out stuck two fingers in the air and everyone was like yay and and then we won because of Winston Churchill and that really isn't that's just silly it's childish isn't it um he also did some awful things like say about uh, Tony Pandy or like you know or or send the rats back down the holes or you know to to miners and or like you know, uh, I don't know like starving India or uh, and you yeah, know yeah genocides or in, like, yeah, you know genocide, I think, I th just, just add that and tick that to the list yeah 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 so he wasn't like this uh, this heroic figure necessarily but you know people don't think of that in context but i think starmer would like us to just be like no hang on would you shut up about churchill and just say britain's great and we won two world wars and one world cup i think that's what Keir starmer would prefer us to do yeah. and you know but that's it's nonsense and people and we know that we're too we're too 
we know too much to just accept he's that also, kind of thing. He, he's also coupled it with this kind of approach to um, big up, you know, the the support um, for armed forces, but not doing it in a way that is about, you know, the the well-being and welfare of people in the armed forces. Uh, my husband's in the army. Um, and, you know, I, I w- was um, really happy to see you know the approach that um the last leadership did you know the the pledges that they made to the armed forces were were really good and and were actually really popular as well a lot of people really supported it if they get could get past you know the the what they were being fed by the media but there was an awful lot of interest in that because it was about raising people's living standards and you know the one thing that i really sort of take away from the approach that was before was that, you know, the, the thing about socialism and the approach that Jeremy sort of tried to put into things was that there's no one part of the community that should come before any other. You know, we should all be, if everybody does well, if everybody's provided for, we all move forward. And this is where, you know, I think that um, here's trying to do the shortcut, like you say, James, to get to the destination, which is if it please this group of people and it please that group of people, I'll get to A and B or, you know, I'll get from A to B. But really, if you try to do something for everybody, which is, you know, it, it is quite easy. It's not that whole people pleasing thing. It's if you create policies that make living standards better for, the, you know, for everybody, you know, you, you will, you'll be seen as being sincere. You'll be seen as being, you know, authentic. And you will actually be seen as being patriotic because you're treating everybody like the valued citizen that you should be. But I don't, what I don't like is how inauthentic that CARE's approach is. It's about trying to, you know, just, just pick certain groups of people, make them feel important, and then, oh, I'm the patriot. And I just think that he's, by doing that, he's actually being the complete opposite to what he says he's trying to be. And, and I, I, just, I just don't think that we should be trying to, to make certain elements of our communities um above others you know because no life is worth more than than another life you know we're we're all you know we're all here on this earth you know none of us chose to be here but you know we should all be given an equal and fair opportunity at at reaching our full potential and what's wrong with that you know and and i don't need to be draped in a flag to do that either Um, I don't know. So, I don't, sorry, com- Paul. Oh, oh, no, no. I was, I was going to bring you in there, Rochelle. It's just I was uh, going to come to the comments, but I'll come to you first because. Um, but all I was going to say was I don't know if you if you know this, but um, as a in secondary school, it's a statutory right that you have to teach British values. So mm-hmm. it's funny that you should bring them up. So I'm going to read them out word for word, so I don't get any words mixed up. So um, British values. We've got to teach democracy, the rule of law individual liberty and mutual respect and tolerance for those with different faiths and beliefs and for those without faith. Wouldn't that have been a better strategy than just waving the flag around to actually talk about those British values that we meant to teach in school, well, that we do teach in school, that are a statutory knowledge, you know, every child should go away and and understand this and understand that. Mm. And I think a lot of stuff's been lost. It like, but it's all a little bit superficial. Like yeah. nothing, nothing's been linked back to British democracy or the rule of law or individual liberty. I haven't heard any of that mentioned. It's just been my flag's bigger than yours. 
And also, we do we really have a democracy and do we have liberty? But that's maybe a d- debate for you to have in your next week's chat. Because <laughs> you're all that's night a, on that one. <laughs> that's a big in, but yeah, I'm 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 into that debate. That, that's a good debate. I'll, to I'll have, have that um, if you want. That. Yeah, um, maybe in a second. I just I just want to uh, come back to the chat for a second. So we've had a, like a a few different comments over time, and Twitch is always good for comments because yeah, it's main it's 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 mainly not like uh, it's mainly not people who are from the UK, and it's mainly not people who are in agreement necessarily with us. Yeah, so it's quite good fun to see. And I like good yeah. Challenges. So someone uh, Super Patsa Two said, "Socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy." I would say that <laughs> if if you listen to what we've actually said, this isn't. I, I hope we've answered that one because we are just saying. He's literally crying. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny because, like, like what we've talked about is making sure that people, including us, are educated. Like, none of us think we know everything. We've stated that. We're saying that we want to learn more, um, and we're not envious of anyone. We want everyone to feel the same, and and we want people to be brought up. We're not saying, oh, we want your car. Um, so <laughs> everyone needs to agree uh, with me, and that's democracy. Yeah. <laughs> I just want your Tesla for one day. I'm not, I swear I'll give it back. There was, there was this, uh, there was this cracking thing before. Can you remember what was it called? It was it Ponderland with Russell Brand. If you oh, ever see, yes. it, was, it was absolutely brilliant a few years ago, and he did this thing, and it, he, they interviewed someone. They went, um, "Who do you think should be able to vote?" And it was just like the, he'd just look at old documentaries and stuff, and it was like. Well, uh, it should just be me and a few of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> spell, it wasn't Russell Brand who said it. We're not, we're not it, much it further than that. We really are not much further than that with the establishment, you know. No, no, in a couple of the same class, right? They all come from the same <laughs> school. They're all educated in the same way. They're all put through the same system. And I, I've got another one about we need a thirty-dollar an hour minimum wage. Fifteen isn't enough. I would continue working at Starbucks, but only if I get paid more. I don't know whether that's a, a, a someone taking the piss or whether that's someone telling the truth. Um, I, think I don't really, very, I don't, I don't really know bad. the context. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think he was just talking about in general what's the minimum hour wage, right? And I said this yeah. before. I did not feel comfortable or anywhere near um, not living month to month until I earned around say 23 to 30,000 a year. It's between that region that I felt mm-hmm. really comfortable that I was able to, you know, if the, if the car broke down, um, I can go get it repaired. And I yeah. wasn't really like worrying about, okay, how am I going to make next month's rent? Because I had to pay out for the car. Um, it, it, that started happening around like 23 to 30,000. Um, yeah. so in, in that's on average about, what is it? 20 pounds, 25 Yeah, I think it's about 20 quid an hour, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think what, um, I think that's probably, I would say that people do deserve to have enough money to live and it depends on your costs. And stuff. Like so, so that might not be enough for someone. If you're living in a, in a big city, you know, that is, you know, a minimum requirement and people are making a lot of money out of your profit. Out of the profits they make from you, out of your labour, so you should share that. But I really don't know enough about the exchange rate and the person's background to comment on that. I don't know whether it's because I've I've seen some people making flippant comments about like people thinking, oh well, you know, you only deserve this much for being in this job. 
I don't think any of us think that. I don't think any of us think that advocates of a minimum wage being a living wage, really. But I don't know what that would well, be in that person's you know, context. I had this, I had this conversation with someone in my family actually, and uh, that you know kind of surprised me at the time. Where, um, you know, when I was talking about you know what people earn, you know, um, tax, you know, we're talking about you know a lot, a lot of kind of things. And um, I suppose I you know realized it quite shockingly a lot of my family are small C conservative, but it was like, well, I work hard, and that's that. See, that statement, that really infuriates me because, you know, my response to that is, well, does the bin man not work hard? Does the, you know, does, you know, does the cleaner not work hard? You know, because they don't earn a lot. And I think this is what we see a lot from the pandemic is it's not about low skill. It's about low pay, you know. So, you know, you wouldn't be able to function if you didn't have a cleaner you know, you wouldn't be able to function if you didn't have someone collecting your bins. These are key roles, key, you know, positions within our society. And just because you don't value them doesn't mean that that person isn't working hard enough. And then the response to that can be, oh, well, I studied hard at school. Well, maybe you were in a position to be able to study hard at school. You don't know what someone's circumstances are. And I just don't like this, you know, this notion that, it, you know, it kind of like comes back to this, um this idea that people get in Britain, you know, and it's the same in America that, you know, it's that American dream that if you, you know, if you just put in the effort and you work hard, you know, you'll, you'll get somewhere. Well, no, that's all bullshit because effort doesn't equal outcome. You can work really, really, really freaking hard and you can get nothing at the end of it. And that's just your luck, you know, but we shouldn't be punished for that. Our society shouldn't see people fall through the cracks. It shouldn't see someone really struggle who works three jobs you know and it isn't their fault that they don't get paid well in those jobs but yet someone like fucking jeff bezos you know can earn <laughs> an absolute killing for doing what and then do you know what sickens me more i think i talked about this at the time ball was like he's not like oh i'm gonna be a philanthropist well how about you fucking make sure that your company pays people enough and makes people like be able to go to the toilet and not have to piss in a friggin' bottle you know <laughs> It's like, it's just the imbalance is absolutely ridiculous. I just, no, no, you know, everybody should get, you know, rents should be at a position, you know, people's pay should be able to cover their, you know, basics of life, which is your rent, your bills, your food. You know, I don't, I don't spend a lot. I don't like to have a lot of things. You know, people don't need to be like that. That's the capitalist way of making you think you need things. But the things that you do need is roof over your head, food in the cupboards, you know, and I'm being able to, you know, function in life and, you know. Having a laugh every now and then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't, you know, live to work or you shouldn't live to work. You should work to live, you know. And I just think the, the imbalance is just absolutely absurd. There's, there's Sorry, something I just you... got a bit angry there. No, <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's the passion. So there's some, I'm going to bring Rochelle in on this in a second, but um, I interviewed Ray Goodspeed, who was one of Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners, and, you know, and obviously that was sort of um, romanticised by the film Pride, which was a really, really good film, not exactly how it happened, and, you know, there were far greater number of them, so that's why Ray's name doesn't appear in the film, for example. But... Yeah, he sent me the real documentary they made, and it's called Dancing in Delice. Delice, sorry, it's called Delice, isn't it? Dancing in Delice. Um, and if you if you watch that, really funny. There's a couple of things that I noticed, but one one in particular with re- relevance to what you say, Tina, But they kept on saying victory for the miners. You know, they go, victory for the miners, uh, victory for the gays. 
victory for socialism. And that's all they were saying all the time. And that was sanitized from the film. It wasn't in there. Yeah. But, um, you know, but the other thing was um, they, they spoke to Mark Ashton and they were like the, the, the reporters who were probably part of a very priv- privileged class were saying, you know, why did you, um, why do you support the miners? What have the miners ever done for you? Like talking about gay people in general. He said, and he was like, well, they go down into a coal mine and they dig coal, so I have electricity. And, and uh, you know, and that's such a, a powerful thing to understand that, that those people who maybe do the jobs that you think, actually, they might they might not be out on a gay pride march with me, but they're down mm-hmm. in a coal mine digging coal. And, that, and I'll show you solidarity because you're being shot on by the government the same way we're being shot on mm-hmm. by the government. And that's solidarity that came from that. So, yeah. Rochelle, you're particularly excited about um, the Ray Goodspeed interview, aren't you? So, what what do you think? Um, I haven't watched that other documentary. You know, you'll have to, I'll have to I'll have to watch it later on. That's um, really good. One of the things, like my dad was a miner, and my my granddad was the um, the pit overman, not a foreman. Mm. I think I think he was the the overman's the word I'm using. Um, and I grew up a lot around like men down the pit. We've got a massive family where my mum's the youngest of like nine kids. There's the six boys, three girls. So I've got like loads of male influence or like pit oriented history in the family. And it's mad because like it's not until you get older that you start asking questions about things like, um, oh, mum, mum. I've, I've been, you know, I've learned about this thing about the strikes and the miners and like, did dad ever get called a scab? And like having those conversations and like understanding what happened and and then talking about, oh, well, you know, there was this revolution where like the, the gays and lesbians actually came and supported the miners and they helped them. And like having those real conversations, it's like, it's amazing. It's amazing that kind of stuff happened. And I, I just, I love the fact that there was absolute solidarity. Like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. This is why I think, a lot oh, of sorry. The, sorry, this is why I like a lot of the shows what would uh, the Socialist Think Tank are doing, like the Origin series and mm-hmm. Social Tie series, is because you end up exploring the backgrounds of people like that and uh, people who actually went through it, like I, I, like Alan um, um, and, uh, and others in the movement, especially um, people in my region anyway, that we've got a lot of people telling their stories of exactly what happened. um uh, and yeah i think it's just inspirational to be honest stuff like that because it it, it, i know it's not as extreme now if uh, we don't have people working down uh, down the pits and you know in the conditions that 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 was back then um and in the states that were but nowadays at the moment in the front lines and the key workers like you were mentioning uh, tina earlier on um it, it, it and all the frontline workers and nhs staff they are they are our and nowadays miners. They are the ones on the front line. They are, they are taking the brunt of the worst and um, uh, all, all the health uh, repercussions that's going to come from this. Um, it's exactly the same as what uh, the uh, not exactly, but it, it, in in the same respect. Um, it's just more modernised. We have better working conditions and stuff in, uh, in modern society, and they they are. Uh, our key workers and NHS workers at the moment are definitely like the miners back then and uh, we need to organise a bit more, it's it's the same for teachers I think teachers organising the way they did uh, with the TUC etc and that was uh, that was exactly 
uh, the type of action what we needed at that right moment in time or else we weren't going to force the government to take the action that we needed um so hats off i i just think we need more organization um for particular groups like that what we have now like what's a union is is unions banned in the nhs i I, i'm quite confused on this unison unison in the bma well the bma um went on strike last year and then they were evil and then all of a sudden it was like god bless the nhs like really permissible in the middle of a pandemic i would never agree with that by the way um, because people's lives are seriously at risk, and I think any any doctor or any pro, prof, professional would agree with that. Um, I don't think strike action for the NHS is really the right move, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I'll agree mm-hmm. with that. I don't know. I think it would depend. At some point, yeah, I think it would depend. I think it depends on what the issue is. I mean, I, I think you know, if that was the case, the government would be pushing to make sure you'd be in some form of sort of pandemic or crisis to make sure that people don't strike. And I think the the, the whole point of a strike is that you make, you know, your absence felt. And I think, you know, we have to, I I would, I I think it would be if if a workforce decide that their working conditions are so abhorrent that they need to strike, I think, you know, I, I would support them. But just going back to your point, I think, which which is really key, you know, when when, when we talk about um the lesbian and gay support the minors, if you go back to that time, you know, there was an awful lot of, you know, homophobia. There was an awful lot of ignorance around, you know, LGBT issues. And I think this, it kind of comes back to where we started the conversation, where we started talking about political education. And, you know, if you, you know, we see an awful lot at the moment of um, certain kind of politics where people talk about no platforming and where, you know, we shouldn't discuss certain things. Things are black and white issues. And I think for me that that's a really dangerous sort of um, way to tackle politics, because if you shut down discussion, if you shut down debate, obviously fascists completely should never be platformed. You know that I'm not talking about that. But I mean, in general, you know, what we actually stop is the learning because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that every minor felt that way, but there would have been a lot of the minors in that day who who weren't familiar with, you know, the LGBT issues. But through that um, working together, through that um, common bond and realizing that the same, that they had the same oppressor and they, you know, formed that solidarity together, you know, they, they were able to, to work together, move forward and, and sort of, you know, really achieve something, you know, which is, you know, what the working class should be trying to do, which, which is further, you know, our cause. But if we stop that, like, like, like we're doing at the moment, you know, we're actually preventing people from gaining allies. And I think, you know, we need to be really careful here. And I think, you know, for me, I think that there's, that we have to not give in to the pressures of the right wing, which is to try and stop us having discussion, which is to try to stop us having the debate, which also then ends up stopping people getting allies and stopping our communities linking together. And I think, you know, education comes in an, in an awful lot of ways, but you know, for me, you know, I learn a lot through debating with someone, whether I agree with them or not. You know, I think I learned, you know, from their argument. I think that's what we have to be very careful not to shut down. I think in particular, you know, we can't see an awful lot of that um, of late. I think that uh, I think the government at the minute, if the NHS was to strike and, and again, like they're totally within their rights to do so if they feel the need to, but 
not just with the NHS, with uh, teachers, with I could list a lot of jobs. Mm. They're just they're balancing their current plan on the goodwill of other people, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're going to make the decision. Like for instance, I don't speak for everyone, but for me personally, like if the decision came, and they were to say, you know, that any year when I'm in the NEU, and they were to say, right, Rochelle, we're going to strike on Tuesday, but I had my year 11s, and my year 11s would do an exam, like. You've, you've got a two-way street there because I think, oh, my God, my greater good is my year 11s and make sure they know what they're doing to pass their GCSEs and blah, blah, blah. And I do think that this government are leaning on the laurels and the goodwill of people to make choices that they might not necessarily usually make because it's it's almost like a moral dilemma, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and I think they've, they've caused lots of moral dilemmas for loads of people, like restrictions you know we're talking about this 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 thing about mental well-being you're alone some people are not alone like laura said last week you know we're in a storm all in the same storm and some people have got a yacht and i and i do believe that like when they're talking about things it's it's the they are just resting on the goodwill of people to, to you know to make the right decision for the good of everybody else but they're not they're, they're not making those decisions they're not they're not taking everybody's opinions on board they're just making sure that the people below them make the right decisions for society to prop them up still and it's, it's horrendous it can't go on any longer hence you've got all these people that are you know i've seen people that have you know um you know um had limbs removed and they're now doing marathons to raise money for the nhs no just and provide the money for the NHS. You're the yep. government. You have the money. You can do it. And it's just trying to get us into this notion of who's a worthy citizen. And you know, yeah. aren't they amazing that they've done this? They've done more than you. You know, and and this whole notion of resilience. I just think I, I could go on about. I could go on for an hour about that subject. Don't even start me. I'm going to stop before I go on. About it. Resilience <laughs> is one of my one of my fun ones as well. It's like oh, oh. children. You know those children that were forcing to do loads of exams. Um, oh. What they need to be taught is resilience. You know, the ones yes. that hate the life is like, well, maybe they just yeah. need to enjoy the life a little bit rather than be forced into doing something yeah. stupid, you know? But it's like, you know, and it's it, it, it actually feeds back into the, you know, the armed forces debate, you know, where where they recruit from, the, the people they recruit, the backgrounds they recruit from. And then in the end, when you maybe have an issue, it's like you just weren't resilient enough. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. like. Oh, that's your problem. It, uh, yeah, yeah, it's you, not me. It's Thatcher. It's the it's the individualization of everything. If you've got poor mental health, or oh, maybe you didn't eat enough, or you didn't, you know, healthy enough, or you didn't walk enough, or you didn't do something for yourself. Same with the armed forces. The same with everything. It's nothing to do with societal pressure. It's all to do with you didn't do something yeah. right. You know. Um, it, just one thing on that on the on the armed forces recruitment. Um, they literally recruited from the referral unit. I can understand why. Um, so the the majority of people in there are disadvantaged children, come from mm-hmm. troubled backgrounds. Um, some of them have uh, learning difficulties. Very few options. Uh, yeah, very few options, learning difficulties, facing prison if they're left. Um, basically, that's the only other option they've got left other than um, there's there's basically nothing after that. There's no educational prospects, etc. Um, but the army did come in, they're swooping in. They're like, mm. oh, oh, well, you can go see the world. You can do this. You can... And Once see a field in Africa, it's the same oh, as a field in Kenya. <laughs> 
I'm saying they, they say you can go and see the world, but you can go and see a field in Africa and go and see a field in Kenya and go and see a field. You know, you're still getting to see the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand the prospect side of it where you're learning like um, what what I actually applied a couple of times. So I applied for the RAF and the army um, and it wasn't at the physical trainer or anything. It was actually my education that let me down at the end of the day um, because RAF, yeah, you're up against yeah. Um, but I wanted to get basically in air traffic controlling and a lot to do with electronics and stuff. Um, so that's what interested me. But I could see from that prospect is what I'm trying to say. Some like career progression, learning skills, all of that. Not to go take around, orders. be frontline and uh, take orders. Yeah, 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 I think there's like the, the, the services and infrastructure to build up the frontline services is what I was interested in, not, not the actual frontline services. So. Uh, I'd like to come to a couple of comments. Um, so there are there are questions coming in. And people can see them on the screen. I've ma- I've now worked out how to make the the font massive. Oh, so, it uh, looks you know, good actually. Looks all right, doesn't it? It looks, it looks okay. So yeah, it's much better. People can actually read it rather than like having like one of those uh, like a magnifying glasses. Yeah, well, monocle would be good. Um, Mark Lungley, who's commented all tonight, which is all of them really high quality. Uh, for all these faults, Owen Jones hit it on the head here. Get rid of all the cleaners, rubbish collectors, bus drivers, supermarket checkout staff, and secretaries, for example, and society would very quickly grind to a halt. On the other hand, if we woke up one morning to find all the highly paid advertising executives, management consultants, and private equity directors had disappeared, society would go on as much as it did before. In a lot of cases, probably quite a bit better. Now, there's actually evidence for this. We could also get along a lot better without Owen Jones's shit journalism and <laughs> Do you mean? Do you mean he's uh, he's technique of? I was trying to high of... five you right now. <laughs> I can see you. Camera. <laughs> he's his um his waiting for his turn to speak or waiting for his chance to interrupt journalism. Um. So, but no, th- there is evidence for that opinion though. That um in Rutger Bregman's book, um mm. that's where I heard it. Um, that um, that the, it was about a bit a, a banker's strike. The bankers have only ever gone on strike once, and I believe it was in Ireland. Um, mm. And they went on strike, and no one noticed because, yeah. like, and I'm talking, I'm talking about nobody. like, uh, I'm talking about like the the, you know, not bank managers, not people who yeah. you can access money from. I'm talking about like the the speculators, Hedge fund managers, and, and yeah, and they, yeah. And they packed in for a bit. <laughs> Or notice the bins go on strike for a week, and you just, uh, you just chaos. absolutely, uh, yeah, total chaos, absolute yeah. chaos. So I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, we're seeing another couple of good questions come in. Uh, Paul Smith again's on uh, YouTube, which is nice, nice to see you, Paul. Um, for en- for any strike of all workers to be successful, we'd need to neutralise the mainstream media, especially yeah. the Murdoch press kind of what we're sort of trying to do i think there's far too much the weird thing for me is working classes will go um will go on about how they don't trust the mainstream media and then unless it's about corbyn yeah unless it's about corbyn and then they believe the complete nonsense about him but they wouldn't believe but, like something that they said about a vaccine. It's a really weird choice. I find it really strange that, you know, you, you kind of, I mean, everybody learns about the power of propaganda in, you know, history when you learn about World War II. Yet nobody can, I, well, not nobody, but 
a lot of people cannot identify propaganda when they walk into the news agents or when they turn on the TV, you know, you're being fed propaganda by so many different outlets and so many different things. And I think this is where, you know, that the whole importance of political education comes in because we need to be able to see how we're being played and who we're being played by and why we're being played, you know, you know, it, the answers are, are all there in front of us. And I just think, you know, what we have to do, I think what our responsibility on the left is to not, you know, sort of, we have to bring people with us and, and understand that, you know, we're all, you know, trying to get to the same destination. We all want to be in the same place, but we have to bring people there at their, you know, kind of, you know, at their pace as well. But also, I think where some politicians and not all politicians is that that sense of, urgency can sometimes appear to be where you're being patronizing and where you're being that sort of I'm not saying they're being Fabians but in that approach of you know oh I'm the benevolent and, and I will do this for you you know because you're you know I'm you're 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 worthy of my time to make your life better but it can the left can sometimes come across like that whereas you know what that's why I think we need to be doing more at that sort of ground level which is about you know, being with people, what they're, you know, doing in their communities, what the struggles are. Well, if you're listening to your community, you're able to work with your community and then realize, okay, right, well, this is what we need to do to make our community better, you know. I, I find that quite funny. Sorry. You go. Sorry, you, I've um, enough. I, I, you know what? I hate to bring it back to education again, like for political education, even if we don't call it that and we just call it education in secondary school, we have to teach fake news and we have to teach the kids how to spot fake news. The th what we can't do is we can't use political examples Ooh. because if we did, you know, we'd, we'd get, you know, I'll not go down that route, but it will be um, one of those things where you would get called up and say, why have you called this fake news when it's not fake news? And, you know, yeah. it's very subjective and it's, so although we're trying to teach these young people across the country, they need to learn about fake news. We can't give them any like specific examples or give them like, yeah. you've just got to be very general and you've got to talk about things like social influencers, Instagram, you know, like she might say this coffee is going to make us skinnier. We know it doesn't. And that's fake news, but we can't link it to like real life scenarios because if we did, We'd, we'd, you know, we'd get hold over the calls for it. Or, or it's really you know? bad that, that that's really infuriating because the most examples actually come from the political, political realm. Yeah, because, no, yeah, yeah. No. You've got to be but, so careful in what you teach the kids because you don't want to be seen to be teaching them not the wrong thing, but you can't favour a side. I mean, not that I would do that in school anyway. It's like a completely separate entity, but you've got to be really careful. And as someone who who does double in like politics and education and you try and mm. not to overlap the two but you, you can't help but think if the two were overlapped it would be so much easier and everyone would I be suppose, i suppose you, you know. have to try and subvert it you know and get them to point it out to you in a way yeah. you know you really do you know i can imagine it's not the easiest but it's certainly oh i'd be sacked within a week <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come to the comments again. Um, so 
Rachel Driver is late because she's been fixing a boiler. Solidarity to you. Um, She said there was a massive icicle blocking the condenser outflow. My advice there is to get an old duvet around the condenser pipe. And and, and that will mean that the, the, the... the heat from the boiler will be trapped a little bit, even if it gets wet and minging and stuff. But, you know, that's that's my little advice there. Um, but well done. Solidarity to you. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Paul Smith is um, is saying uh, one way of neutralising the mainstream media is all the left media to unite and work with each other. I'm for that. I'm always for that. I am definitely for that on the I was, source. I was about to... Uh, I was going to come in with, uh, <laughs> on that point, though. Um, is I I I I think so so this thing tank and others like it are, are are basically a stamp of what we need to be replicating across uh, across all media platforms at the moment where it should be individuals like us activists like us that are doing things start up little shows like this although yes. It, there's actually only a small number of us. There's only four of us who run this uh, socialist think tank. And to be able to, to get the level what we are with just us four, I think it's quite impressive. So if we can replicate that and uh, give advice or or uh, have a blueprint or whatever to give to other people to start up and do the same type of thing, I think that's um, exactly what we need. We need thousands of us all, all throughout of all uh, everybody uh, in, in the movement to be able to start little things like this. So at least like, like I said, 20 odd or, or 40 odd or 100 people or even five of their friends start listening in, that it's getting the word out. It's starting to um, talk about a properly break down them barriers because at the moment we, we kind of have them conversations. We kind of got to the pub and talk, talk to somebody who uh, is our long lifelong best friend, but yeah, bloody hate his ideas. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but you'll sit and have a drink with them all night long, you know. Um, and we can't have them arguments at the moment, not uh, disagreements and debates at the moment. We can't have none of that. And I, I think I do miss it because we're just going to sit here and boil up in our own echo chambers and not. And then uh, as soon as we see each other in person, it's going to be all arguments. And <laughs> this uh, is why. This is why I think the Tories are absolutely loving the the chaos that they've created because they have removed that um ability of communities to come together and organize but you know so you know it becomes um you know where i kind of worry about you know what's going to come forward i mean are we going to how many pubs are going to reopen how many community spaces are going to reopen you know where are we going to be able to organize will they um, will they remove the laws which prevent us from protesting, which prevent us from gathering in spaces? You know, these are the things that I genuinely worry about because they've removed those, but they haven't said they're going to give us them back. You know, that they could choose not to. Um, where's the opposition going to be on that? You know, are we going to be, you know, is this the moment then where maybe we are going to get together and say, Do you know what, I've had enough, you know, because... If you remove people's rights to organize, you know, it becomes very much easier to continue to control and make lives make life really hard for people. And you know, it's worrying. I genuinely do think it is worrying for how, how we move forward as to, you know, what is the state of things gonna be whenever whenever we do come out of this pandemic. This links in with Laura's question, which was uh, how do we cut through to people having an already impossible time to empower them? 
to know that they have a voice and it is worthy of hearing, how do we make them understand what true socialism is and how it in- impacts them as individuals? I, just... I think, you know, we've got to organise in our communities. You know, I know there may not be places, you know, out after the, the sort of pandemic, but there are means to organise. And at the moment, it may, might not be as easy and it might not be as um, visible to, to, to some communities. But, you know, it's up to us to try and find ways, try and find those more alternative ways that we can include as many people. But afterwards, I think... Um, you know, there's going to be an awful lot of rebuilding that our communities need to do. And the only way to do that is is through that organizing, is listening, is, you know, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in, you know, whatever sort of community that you're in. I think it's, you know, incumbent upon all of us, not just a certain group of us within those communities, but it's incumbent upon all of us within our communities to reach out and make sure that, you know, everybody within our community has that voice, has a way of being heard. And, you know, it's not going to be easy and, you know, nobody ever said it was going to be. I think the challenges that we have ahead of us are going to be very difficult. And I think, you know, we're going to see from that who the leaders of our community are, who are the people who, you know, walk the walk and talk, the, you know, and don't just talk the talk, you know, who are going to be the people that are willing to, you know, get things back together. And I think that's that that's the 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 battle for all of us. You know, it's not just in the the theoretical political education, but it's actually in, in how we, you know, go forward and, and put our theory into practice. Dina, have you seen that in um, your, uh, like your local politics of um, like up and coming uh, politicians that are getting enthused and involved because of COVID? And do you see them more active out in like, um, say in, in our area, delivering uh, meals and stuff for the vulnerable and all the programmes that were set in place by our county? Do you see any replication there in your area? Well, uh, I can't really, unfortunately, I can't comment because um, I moved, um, I've temporarily moved um to Edinburgh, uh, I moved in July, in the end of June last year, and I'm only here until the end of of this year. So I've moved from where I was. I'm now in a place where I don't really know anyone. So it, I can't. It, it would be unfair to me to make a judgment on 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 either community, you know, because I'm not in the one that I was, nor am I known in in the one that I am. But you know, I think you know from what from what I see, you know. Um, you know, on, on social media is that, you know, it is the working class communities that are doing those more sort of um, mutual aid and, you know, setting up um, not just food banks, but, you know, delivering food, making sure people have been able to get um, prescriptions. And, you know, I, I don't know whether that's just restricted to the working class, but for me, I think that, you know, that, that, you know the the upper class you know the establishment aren't in need of that so is that even happening in their area i don't know but you know i, I don't think i can comment on a community-wide level to be honest i think it revolves is straight back uh, what rochelle was on about earlier um in regards to uh my mind's just gone completely blank but rochelle mentioned earlier on about something that you were talking about in terms of um it, it, it people getting more involved uh locally just my sorry yeah no well, there there is i mean i have to and there's there's one one thing that i would like to mention about where i was before um in colchester and it was a person um who 
has done, you know, is a real community champion. And when I first moved Colchester, I ended up uh, kind of volunteering at one of the local youth clubs in one of the, it was in like the, the ward that I lived in. And there's a woman, um, Maureen Powell, who's in, um, who's in that area who she set up, um, it was her idea to set up the youth club for the kids. And then she started doing um, sort of, you know, um, like food uh, in the school holidays. So, you know, she was doing that for a long time before it became a thing. Um, and then, you know, throughout the pandemic, throughout the whole of the pandemic, she has coordinated delivering food, getting, you know, food um, donated, but also then delivering it to, you know, families in need throughout Colchester. And I think, you know, that's just like, you know, this is this one, she's an absolute, you know, legend who's, who's you know, masterminded this, but has done it. And she's not done it for for any sort and think this is what's most admirable about it and this is where so many people in our communities deserve to be you know rewarded and I don't mean rewarded in like CD or whatever like that I just think people need to acknowledge that there are people who do this not for political gain they don't do it for personal gain there are so many people and this is what I love about the working class is that people just they just love their communities love the people and make want to make sure that everybody you know that nobody is going without and will do whatever they can whatever in their capability to do that and I think the fact that it's done you know just for that is something that you know there's you know there's you know there's, there's nothing greater is there you know that someone's not doing anything for personal gain or political gain it's just purely to make sure that somebody else is okay is just unbelievable I and I think that's, it comes back to what Paul was saying about patriotism. That's what we should be championing, not the, the waving of a flag or, you know, that the people want to see a flag. People, you know, that's the true nature of, you know, of our communities is that people make sure that, you know, the person beside them is okay. I've, I've spoke about this, like, quite a lot. One of the things that really annoys me is all of this um, Tory contract tendering, you know, like cronyism to their mates, all that kind of stuff. And um, one of the things that we did at school was, obviously, schools were open. We had loads of vulnerable kids at school. And there was this gap where I'm a, I'm a DT teacher. So there was this gap in the market where, like, the, the, the Tory government had all this money for PPE, but then the PPE was stopped and there was a backlog and there was like a warehouse that had apparently been flown in with Turkey, Turkish PPE, but it wasn't up to scratch and it couldn't pass the British standard and all this kind of stuff. And then there was like this murmur in the background of like, right, well, I've made this file, this laser cutting file, I'll share it with you. If you can develop it, then you develop it. It's, it's not copywritten, you know, you do what you want with it. And like, that was like the first stage of like the people looking after the people mm. on a very basic level as well. Like we're just talking about like you or I just thinking there's a gap. What can I do? Yeah. I look into it. So then I, f I found like this file on this DT teachers forum, like, right, I've made this file for PPE. Like it's open for you do what you can. And then within like a week, there'd been like 500,000 pieces of PPE made by mm -hmm. DT teachers across the world to try and plug this gap. I mean, like at school, we had friends, like teachers, you know, like comrades, friends. Um, we had students that were in school. We'd set up like a socially distanced um, 
build where like we were literally going along and like making these face masks and doing all this stuff. And we had kids taking them. We had kids who'd had like family members who were working in um, care homes and stuff. And they were literally coming to school, making something and then taking it home and giving it to their, their auntie or uncle who worked in the care home and wasn't given PPE. And I've never seen such an achievement from them kids or such camaraderie from people coming together and trying to do something to, you know, to plug the gap that this Tory government have done. And when we talk about like, from the ground up, like I've never, honestly, I've never seen such an example or I've never lived an example so well. And it's still going like, um, one of our MPs, um, Graham Morris had contacted us and said like, look, the big issue, they've got vendors. So these vendors are on the streets. They haven't got any PPE. They're not being given any, like, is there anything you can do? So I'd put a call out to all my friends, like comrades, DT teachers, and within a week, everyone was sending all of their face masks to the big issue to just like give them like for nothing like you know and it was so bittersweet because you want like as it as it as a as a person who doesn't support the Tory government but as a teacher who wants to help their kids you know feel supported and feel like they've done something really well um I'd contacted Graham and said, like, look, our school's done this thing. We've produced over like 3,000 pieces of PPE. The school has, the kids have, like, in support of this national pandemic. And we got this letter from Downing Street, and it was like bittersweet because the, the Labour part of us, or, 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 you know, the other part of us was like, oh, God, this Tory government are congratulating me yeah. for spearheading, you know, 3,000 PPE things that we've done when we shouldn't have had to do it. Yeah, but they don't the know same... the real you, though, Rochelle. No, That's no. why. No, nor did the, you do it but at for the same the time, I'm like, at the same time, I'm like having to advertise on Facebook and things like that because for the kids, you know, like for children and young people to get recognition for the mm. work that they've done, regardless of who's given the recognition, yeah. to get the recognition is something that they should have because they did do something fantastic. And that, you know, I would never say you can't have that because it's from a Tory government. So you, you've got to like split yourself up into two people and like. But did you tell them? Did you tell them that they shouldn't have needed to have to have done it? Oh, they knew. <laughs> they knew that. And yeah. That's the thing, and that's that's, that's the thing about amazing. all of this. Yeah. They knew. They totally knew. They were but saying the, like, "Oh, I can't mean, believe we're having to do this." But just because you you shouldn't have to do it doesn't mean that you don't. But it gives you that idea, and it teaches those young people that regardless of of the people in power who should have done something that we the people can always do what needs to be done anyway you know yeah. we don't need them and i think it's the biggest example isn't it of how whenever ordinary people do something they solve the issue and we don't need you anyway it's kind of like that political education in practice you know again right i'm going to go back to the chat now because there's low there there's been plenty going on in the chat Mark Lungley has said, a bit old, but what do you think about Gavin Williamson trying to ban books from schools um, that don't portray capitalism in a good light? Um, (laughs) So, Rochelle, you're doing a lot on um, social, emotional, mental... No, sorry, no, it's uh, social, moral and cultural. Is that the one? Social, moral, spiritual and cultural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... like. as a teacher, we are now not allowed to do anything. It's not quite right. It's not banning books 
that don't portray capitalism in a good light. It is, um, if anything is seen to be anti-capitalist, it is deemed to be radicalism. So it's deemed to be um, radicalism and needs to be reported to um, to prevent because you're a terrorist. Um, because and and the symbols around around this like just just search for the prevent symbols and they've got like they decided to equate left-wing terror groups with right-wing terror groups which they often do they try and make this false equivalence and they say oh so these left-wing terror groups well who are they there's like oh i don't know someone there must be someone there must be someone greenpeace we'll wang them in we'll say they're a terrorist group and we'll say st Pauli football club um and we'll say the vegan association because there's like these are things that you might see at a left-wing rally, so it's left-wing social. Uh, sorry, left-wing radicalism, which is basically terrorism. And on the other side, you've got like these ninety different symbols for neo-Nazism or actual being a Nazi. And there's this. Honestly, it's in the Prevent book yeah. that you. Mm-hmm. These are falsely equivalent to each other. You just think, well, you know, I'm a vegan. I'm not really a, a Nazi. It's not the same thing. It's not the same. You can't like equate one with the other. Like you know, I, I follow St Pauli's football results, and I think the clothes are cool. Doesn't mean the same as want to like you know do a genocide. Eradicate certain people. Yeah. Yeah. It's so there. There is a very very weird thing going on in education. I think we should be. But Rochelle, you're our um, S. MSC, SMSC, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Expert, you go. Um, to try to try and explain it, um, is Ofsted have some have a set of criteria that every child should go through personal development. So personal development is trying to achieve, you know, ironically making sure that every child has the same type of experiences despite their background as opposed to somebody who is wealthy or was born into wealth or that type of thing. So we have this personal development overarching thing. And then within that, we have social, moral, spiritual and cultural education. And that is meant to be like the parts of school that isn't academic, you know, like school trips. Um, can they talk to one another? Have they experienced other things that isn't you know like within school um and that's and that's my job at school so I'm head of SMSE and my job is to make sure that all of these students and there's, there's one in every school that the, the the genuinely is like one in every school and it's all about trying to make sure that these kids get the experiences that they're meant to have so that they're not left behind so that even if they come from a deprived area they still get the opportunity to have these experiences Now, one of the things that really annoys us is in this pandemic, one of the things that these kids genuinely need to learn, right, within SMSE or anything like that, like morally, is the internet. Some of them haven't got the internet. Some of them barely, you know, they they get a dongle from school with like a a certain amount of gig on it and they they have to do that. And yet we've we've got, we've... uh, I'm trying to be very politically correct, but not correct at the same time. 
We've got other kids in other situations where they've got access to like historical educational books in their home. The libraries are shut. Like these kids, these kids who are from like a deprived area, they can't go to the library and research whatever they want to do. But then you've got other people who've got these like all of these educational books that they're disposable in it. And it's all about like trying to close the gap and make sure that all of these kids get the same education despite their background, despite their monetary income. And it's harder than ever right now. It is, it's, it's really difficult. I'm yeah. trying not to rant. <laughs> oh, just rant. It's just so much better. Gets it off your chest. It's a tough well. time. Oh. We've got the comment from Paul Smith. Please tell us, John Woodcock, where uh, these groups, of, sorry, these left-wing terror groups are. Mm. Um, Laura's suggesting it might be a Section 28 for anti-capitalists. Um that's a really good I point. Did, I, I, um, I, sorry to interrupt. I did read one where it said uh, from Twitter, as a teacher, do you have to be neutral or not? And the answer is you have, like, you've got, you've got to be neutral in your You're not even being teaching. neutral, though. You're not being neutral. You're actually being, you know, you're forced to be pro-capitalist. Protecting the, the, the establishment view. So you're not neutral. You're just not. You're actually not allowed to be balanced. You're not allowed to offer balance. Is offering both sides. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to contradict the ruling. You know the ruling class, the ruling way of things, which is, you know, and I just I find must I, you know, think that must be really difficult, Rochelle, to be, you know, because the whole point about teaching is about. You know, enabling people to, to to be critical thinkers, to be able to make up their own minds about things and learn. And you know, if you're not being able to present the information, how can then someone create and and think about what they yeah. you know what they believe of something? It's... There's no informed decisions because they haven't mm. got all the information that like mm -hmm. they haven't. I, I work with I work with kids who um, have social, emotional, mental health issues. Um, we've had to involve prevent sometimes and it wasn't because they were putting rainbow laces in the football boots um you know like St Pauli do that that, that is what St Pauli do they put rainbow bands on and stuff like that they're anti-fascist it wasn't that reason it was because they were reading like Nazi paraphernalia and you know they were doing these things that is what kids are being indoctrinated into mm -hmm. it isn't into a world that preaches tolerance that isn't the problem the problem Imagine isn't saying let's all be nice to gay people. The problem is let's all exterminate certain types of people. Yeah. I I want to know if someone has ever had to um you know refer someone to pre prevent for reading left wing material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we found this kid asleep reading Marx. Yeah, I was going to make a joke and say I'll start leaving stuff on my desk, but like. There I, I it cannot, it, there is all of a laugh about uh, extreme left wing, um, but I we can all name scenarios of extreme left wing if you can think about it. So the, the you, <clears throat> not just like it, it put a seriousness straight onto the conversation, but you've got to think about people who want to accelerate uh, the, the current situation that we're in to then be able to have some... Um, all-encompassing revolution that will be bloody and it's exactly what they want um 
it, it, there, there are people out there that are accelerationists. So they will come around and they will uh, antagonize and cause scenarios whereby uh, it creates instability to the point that they can incur revolution. Um, and this is a tactic used by um, other adversaries around the world, um, whether or not you're a, a Western capitalist or uh, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It happens uh, in, in internationally. Regardless, uh, we just need to think about that uh, that term of player. That's all I'm trying to say. I think I just find it, you know, really ironic that you know we're a nation that are now trying to, you know, big up the armed forces, you know, and and that's that's patriotism. Yet it prepares people to go into other nations and you know do all sorts of things you know and I just find it deeply I don't know I just find it think that there's an irony there in in you know the influence that we're trying to create on society but yet you know if you're left wing you're seen to be you know just the same as someone who's you know it's only serving forces as well if you're currently mm. in the army, you're supposed to support them. But once they're out and the homeless on the streets, you're meant to give oh, no. that up. Yeah, no. yeah, you're not allowed to. So when the left wing people start to support them because they've been, um, you know, made homeless or they've got mental health issues or PTSD, all those things are evil. But like, you know, not supporting them going in and doing doing like some sort of massacre on a village is is a, is a real negative you know and i'm not saying that the all armed forces behave like that because of course they don't but you know we, that's the sort of things the left wing call out and the sort of things the left wing call out is you know you know veterans sleeping on the streets yeah. you know they, they they shouldn't they shouldn't have to do it you know people nobody with their limbs blown the off street. and stuff and exactly no, nobody nobody should sleep on so, the streets you know and i just find this I just, I, I, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. There are a, a small minority of people, you know, who, who want to see anarchy, but you know, they're never gonna get that. They're not as dangerous as someone who's trying to equate, you know, the problems that we have in society with, you know, some people who are fleeing war-torn nations and, you know, seeking respite in a nation that, you know, has probably caused a lot of the problems that they're running from, you know, and, it, you know, they're, they're not the same. And I think, you know, that they're, they're, I just, I, I, I just, I can't understand well, I can't understand it. I just find it really absurd that it's that it's happening, you know, and that it's happening and people don't know it's happening. That and and that can be said for a lot of things that 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 goes on, you know, in the UK. That you know, and it comes back to that critical thinking. It comes back to that education, and it also comes back to the end of the political education. That you know, and it also leads into that are we in a democracy argument, you know, there is so much that's going on that people are unaware of and, but, you know, just carry on watching Coronation Street and talking about whether whatever character is happening to whatever character and the real shit is going on over here, but you don't need to know that, you know, it's, you know, at some point we've got to break through this barrier and, and make people say that, no, you got to be watching over here, never mind what's going on over there, you know, it's, and, and it, you know, we're creating a, a generation and, and multi-generations of people who cannot do that because they're not being given the information to to be able to critically assess things. And the, and the speaking is, of, in a light-hearted sorry. way, speaking of Coronation Street, uh, we've got we've just confirmed Charlie Hardwick. She's going to be on next month. 
Um, I have no clue who that is. She is someone from <laughs> Coronation. I, I, I know her more. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I recognise her. She was like on Coronation Street in Emmerdale years ago, and um, but she like did it for years when I wasn't watching. But I also met her through the Women's Banner Group, and she's absolutely amazing. She's a proper cracking socialist. You'd recognise her face, I reckon. She's uh she's absolutely um, awesome. She's a good. She's a good. She's a good human being. She's a good. Um. Is there anything parents can do to challenge suppression of anti? Uh, sorry, challenge suppression of anti-capitalist material. I suppose the only thing you can do as a parent is um, teach them to, at home. To yeah, exactly. give show show them stuff at home. But they're isn't that like school? But but what does that give to someone who is maybe indoctrinated at home with far right materials? It's far more likely you're going to be a far right terrorist than a far left terrorist. Um, we are seeing homegrown people in County Durham who have been convicted of terror offences. It's pretty scary, really. Um, so I'm going to, I think, I think I've had a class time and I could go on all night, but all good things must come to an end. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to play um, Christine from Sweden is coming on next week. Christine, someone who I met through uh, the Durham Miners Gala. She came over to um, to see the Durham Miners Gala. She was completely inspired by uh, the Corbyn Project. And this is a little clip that we did outside of the interview again. And I asked her if it was okay if we put this out as an interview, uh, like as a sort of advert for next week. She is properly lovely. And it's so interesting as well to see, um, see how people see socialism in sweden and i think people from the uk often think that sweden is this like model of socialism mm. she doesn't necessarily agree with that although she does say that we're a lot more socialist and some of the things she said as well about um about their their political education that they had within socialism was uh absolutely outstanding so i'm just going to play a little bit and it's it's more to do with county durham as well so I think that's really something that has um, struck us and been very inspirational that we've met so many people in Durham, just like ordinary people, if you use that expression, you know, you know what I mean, like who have been so intelligent and, you know, have a lot of experience and do amazing things. And uh, I think, I mean, clearly, of course, it's not like, I mean, that, you know, the political education is perfect. I mean, I, I realise it's not because if it was maybe Keir Starmer wouldn't be the leader of the Labour Party now, but I still think there's something about um, letting the more, like, ordinary voices be heard and also how, what kind of people, that was also actually a difference I could have mentioned before, like the difference between the Swedish Labour Movement and, the, and, and your Labour Movement is that you also have representatives from a working class background who are not trying to be something else, you know, like Laura Pidcock, for example, or Dennis Skinner, people who are proud of being working class and sort of speaking for the working class. Uh, and I think that's that's also a big uh, difference. Like they, they're not trying to sound like, uh, like you know, the regular politicians. Um, and listening to someone like John Dunn on this Castaway episode yesterday, I was, I'm just, you know, I was just sat there thinking like he could be prime minister <laughs> and it's not, yeah, I, do you know what I mean? I think it's a, it's a really good thing. So again, I didn't clip off that little noise at the end, but um, 
Yeah, so it's interesting to see like what she she almost she admits herself that she almost romanticized the idea of what was going on because she saw the Durham Miners Gala. She really saw the best of us, I mm. think, in the best of the Corbyn movement when Jeremy Corbyn came to do the speeches, and that's how I I met Christine and and she's um she was actually someone who's been asked to stand as an MP. She's really well respected. She's um you know she's someone who. I respect a lot, but she has this connection with the northeast of England because um, she did uh, she did a big piece of work on a strike uh, that they did in um, Sweden, which was the first one against what you would call like sort of a Labour government. It's like the Demo- they're they're social democrats, I think they're called. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting interview. But has anyone got any any comments on what uh, on Christine said there? Um, I I think it's very interesting that you highlighted two MPs that got um deselected in the latest elections. To be honest, um, although I very much agree with her, they were very very figureheads of um the working class movement in British culture. I do, I do agree with that. Um, and I think it's baked in with uh, my principles as well. They were people who I looked up to. I looked up to Laura. It was devastating the night that she lost our election in County Durham. And then we have uh, the balls over champion as, as usual, doing his usual thing. Um, but uh, it, 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 I just think last election was in the UK. That That is a, a very big defeat um in terms of who they targeted for them defeats there were specific um constituencies that they did target um to bring down particular people um that that and they they, they use some weird tactics if you look into it into the areas and the constituencies to be able to get to that point um uh, other than that I, I i think we need more working class people like that there was a post earlier on I seen on, on on social media which highlighted himself uh, for for balls over, um, in just him, it, when he was speaking at the gala, and had black hole banner in the background. Actually, it was Rob Crute, and so we need more people like this. People who actually speak up for the working class, I'm not shy of it anymore. Um, uh, they lived it. They uh, they need to be important in, in in MPs these days. They need to they need to think about that. They need to come from these backgrounds. There's a lot of disassociation between um, people who make the decisions for society and people who live in society. There's a big disassociation there. So, um, and I haven't seen that many MPs nowadays that um, other than the ones that were mentioned. Jeremy Corbyn was a big part of it. Um, locally, we have Graham Morris, etc. But um, in other areas, there's just not enough of us yeah. um, that have that background of the working, back, uh, working class culture. They have the full understanding of what's going on. They're not disassociated of what's being said on the street. Brexit, for a big example, for in our area, Graham was uh, Graham knew every single little ounce of what was going on in that conversation because he was getting thrown on it in every meeting. He was getting shouted at people in the streets. Like it, it, that type of thing, um, it, it, the, the disassociation between people who are making the decisions and the people yeah. who are living in this society needs, it, it needs some coherence. And I don't think we've had that 
and politics for I think as, that, long as I was alive anyway. Yeah, but I think though that we can get sort of caught up in this notion of people having to be working class because I could then say, well, you know, there are a lot of people that are working class and unfortunately there are, you know, who who don't um, look for the the benefit or, or want to represent the the needs of their community. So you look at people like Wes Streeting, who loves to flaunt the fact, you know, that he's come from a working class background. There are some Tories, Tory MPs who, who come from working class backgrounds. I think, you know, for me, you know, that it's not necessarily, I'm, you know, I come from working class background and, and I'm proud of that fact and I would never, you know, work to, you know, not represent the, the class that I come from. And I think that I would work to represent everybody anyway. But the, the issue for me is that whether you understand the needs of your community and whether, you know, that's what you're, you know, you're truly there for, because someone, you might even understand the needs of your community, but you might just be there for yourself, which is what I would say West Streeting is all about. You know, he's not there about the the advancement of the of the working class. You know, he's there for the advancement of West Streeting, end of story, you know, and he doesn't care who he's going to trample on, you know, and how he does that. But, you know, what we have to be looking at are people that are, you know, yes, it's great if you're from the working class, but what's your motivation? You know, what's your politics? You know, I, I that's what I want to be looking at. And, and you know, you look at someone like Tony Benn, who was certainly not, you know, working class, but completely grasped, you know, what it was to have that politics and what the politics was to be able to advance, you know, socialism and you know, and he didn't come to that straight away. He came to that throughout his, you know, career. And I think, you know, we can rule out people who can, and I hate to say this, go on a journey, but, but, but some people do go on that journey, you know, and, and, and as socialists, you know, we believe that people can come on that journey and change and, 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 and you know, get into that way of politics. I think for us, you know, what we have to be looking at is, you know, yes, it would be great that, you know, our representatives come from our class, but I want to look at what someone's politics are. And, and you know, I think we can, you know, there's an awful lot of people in, in our class who are, who are there to further their own agenda and who will quite gladly bang the drum of the working class and then get on their little soapbox and then off the go, they're, you know, they're, they're on their way. And, you know, that's it. I.e. Angela Rayner, you know, who a lot of people got fooled by and a lot of people think, you know, oh, she's, and she's the champion of the working class, you know, and she's not. And I think that's a lesson. And I think this is where we have to look at what someone's, you know, let's get to, let's get to, and I think, you know, I say this, I've said this a couple of times. I think that, you know, unfortunately the era of Jeremy has, has misled some people because Jeremy was someone you could take at his word. Um, Jeremy, I can remember, uh, was a steward actually at the um, event in Newcastle when he came to speak in 2015 during the leadership rally. And, you know, Jeremy spoke our language. Jeremy spoke about the issues that we were all facing. I think there are some people who um, have, you know, the superficiality of that have now, they're able to stand on a stage and they're able to tell us what we, you know, what we want to hear, but really their motivation isn't that. And I think it comes back to that whole political education, that critical thinking, that ability to be able to see when we're being played. And I think that, you know, we've got a lot of learning to do. And I think, you know, there's a, I think, um, 
people always get caught out anyway. My dad has this saying, you know, I remember growing up and he always says, long runs the fox. You know, they get caught in the end, you know, and there's some people I'm so glad to have got caught and Angela Rayner's one of them. <laughs> one of uh one of the things that I particularly found hilarious was um, there's this group that's operating in the Northeast and they call themselves the Blue Collar Tories. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they, they threw out the North and they call themselves Blue Collar Tories. And like <laughs> Paul Howell, who has more properties, he's like the MP for Sedgefield. He's got more properties than anyone in Parliament. He's got 16 properties that we know of that are in his name i'm sure they were well they could be in his wife's name and, and and what have you and he was an accountant throughout his entire life and he describes himself as a blue collar tory uh, hello my uh, my father had a diamond mine in uh, in africa now how can i be racist if those people in africa were working for my father in his diamond mine and that's why I consider myself a blue collar Tory. Um, it's just, it's so ridiculous. Find, and yet, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh. But it's also, it's also as ridiculous as people like Paul Embury, you know, and, and the likes, you know, who, who use their working class background to become, you know, and, and put that wedge within communities. And oh, there's so much I want to say, but we're live. So I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Oh, I think I just did my story impression live. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, no, I'm I not going it. into my description of Paul Embry live. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things, one of, my, one of my friends, when I told them I was going to like try and run as a, um, a Durham County Council councillor, and he'd said like, well, what's your agenda? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And he was like, well, what's your agenda? Every politician's got an agenda. And I was like, well, and I'd, I'd said like, well, what I want to do is encourage like political education within within or outside of school. I like, try and find that gap or, you know, and I, mm. I, I told him me, 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 me bigger picture of like what I want to do. And he was like, yeah, well, but what, you know, like through like slanty eyes. He was like, well, whoa, what's your hidden agenda? And I was like, well, I don't have one. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, you know what I thought really strange not that I had to try and answer those questions because I, I you know I presume that those questions were going to come but that they were coming from someone who I'd known for ages and like and I thought oh like one honestly one of the biggest drawbacks for me like putting myself up for this this sort of job if you will was like yeah I hope that the people that know us genuinely know that I'm doing it for you know like not the right reasons but like I just yeah. want to do what I've said that I'm going to do and I don't you know wish to have two million pounds in yeah. weird yeah, contracts no like behind the back and I just thought like what well, honestly one of my biggest things for me was like am I prepared for people that I love dearly to treat me differently because I'm in politics and, it, and it's this yeah, thing I, of like yours yours is yours is so lovely in comparison to mine because <laughs> like you've got oh. like are people gonna think that I'm doing the right thing I went home to you know Northern Ireland whenever I got selected as a parliamentary candidate and I was like didn't really think about you know what people would think but I didn't get the you know will you be you know will this change you as a person I literally got my you know, people I'd grown up with, people I'd known in the pub, I'm down on a Friday night, and they literally, you know, were like, oh, what are you doing now? And be like, oh, X, Y, and said, oh, I got selected to be a parliamentary candidate. And people were literally pissing themselves in my face. <laughs> I'm like, ah, ha, ha, you, you've got 
elected to run as an MP. You know, there was none of this, will you be corrupted? And she's like, oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> I, and they were just like, I would never be corrupted because they're like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Sometimes the comments can bring you right down to earth. So I'm going to come back to a really good comment <laughs> a second. But we've had an absolute belter there. What are you all talking about? <laughs> We've gone down a little hole, haven't we? We started talking. Yeah, we, mm. we we started we started talking about um you know a variety of different things and you know you, you, you it's one of those things where you had to be there but you are so it's really well, difficult to explain. But um yeah, so I'm gonna James doesn't well. know. Well, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, someone someone said what you're all talking about. So I heard um, that I'm gonna the wrong, by the way, just saying I'm gonna I'm gonna do um oh. I'm gonna do a quick comment from Mia who's absolutely brilliant and we all think Mia's great. So um I heard Richard Holden's upset a lot of his constituents in his short time of office. I'm sure Durham Northwest will swing back to Labour at the next election. Well Hopefully. I think it will we we would hope so, and we'd hope that Laura Pickup would stand there, um, because uh, Richard Heldon is another of the working class Tories who's uh, worked in. <laughs> he worked as a spad, you know, and uh, spads are very working. Blue collar, blue collar, you see. Paul, I think I was... you pass yourself off quite well as being a blue yeah. collar Tory. Yeah, didn't he start taking yeah, photographs yeah. of his meals and stuff in the middle of like uh, uh, this the, the the food bank stuff? What was going on at the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. He's he's generally just a dreadful. Yeah, person, yeah. But bad the, um, timing is all I'm saying. I always say, if you want to class yourself as blue collar, do you have a shower before work or after work? And uh, and if you have a shower after work, then maybe you can consider yourself blue collar, because if you need a shower after work, then self-explanatory, really. Yeah. Um, Laura's claiming I'm a thesp. Yeah, yeah, theatre actor. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll I can see you. I tre- I treaded the boards in um in uh, a number of school productions as a teacher. So yeah. Fabulous, <laughs> so, yeah. oh. oh, Leanne Powell. If only you'd done the Hal Draper reading in that voice, that would have. Yeah, maybe next time, eh? Maybe. Ne- <laughs> maybe next time. Um, and another James uh, Connolly one would have been even better. Yeah, uh, James, James, James Connolly. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, someone suggested a shower during work. I've had a shower during work as well. Um, you know, that's what I, I, I do at the gym um, sometimes. By the way, yeah. I'll go to the gym and then have a shower afterwards, and at the middle of work at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. For you. I've I've, I've, no, I've had to have a I've had to I'm, have a I'm shower during have work. Facilities, to be honest, can, to I, be can I just throw it in that I prefer to have a bath and everything? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Each to their own. But yeah, shower during work. If you ever had to have a shower during work, it's sometimes, uh, yeah, there's plenty of professions where you'd need to have a shower during work. Um, I'd say they probably. Let's not go down that well. road, Paul. They probably. I would. I would class them blue collar. Um, <laughs> so, um, and another one from me regarding Tina's point. She's against all women and all anything shortlists about candidate politics and who's the best person for the job. Now, this is an interesting one. Um, all all women shortlists. Personally, uh, me well, and Laura I, spoke I, about I, this a lot. You, you 
you you I you know to... about these, so you you go for this one, Tina. I'm going to come in in a bit. Well, I actually got selected on being an all women shortlist, and in the ideal world, you know, we shouldn't need to have all women shortlists, but because of the you know the um the way that politics is usually you know outnumbered by men and, and men have been able to be in a position to be able to stand for office you know we have to try and and get um more women into politics um i would like to say <laughs> probably because i've had a few drinks now that regardless of whether it had been an all women shortlist or not i would have won anyway because <laughs> it comes down to your politics and I don't think, you know, for me that, you know, like, like I say, I think, you know, we shouldn't need to have all women shortlists. We shouldn't need to have, you know, shortlists of anything. But we are in a world where men have dominated nearly everything. And to be able to get into a place where men don't dominate, we need to allow for, you know, more um, people, whether it be whether you're a woman, whether, you know, you're um, LGBT, whether, you know, whether you're, you know, disabled, we need to be able to get more people to make it more representative of the people that we have in our nation, you know, it isn't a majority man, you know, so, you know, we do need to get more representation. So, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not just defending that because I won on an all, all, all women shortlist. I just think that, you know, we have to be realistic about how we get to a state where we have, a better representation of, of the nation in front of us. I was going to say exactly what Laura's just put on the screen, actually. Um, we shouldn't need them, but we do. They serve a purpose. Um, however, this is the this is the discussion yeah. we've had a lot. Um, you know, they do nothing to remove the barriers stand in the way of many women, especially working class women getting involved. Yeah. So they're a stick and plaster over a systemic issue. So what we've often talked about is when, like, when you've got an all-woman shortlist, um, what it often does is provide people who are women without the barriers that women face the opportunity to stand in those elections. Mm -hmm. So is that helping the representation of young mothers? Is that, like, you know, or single mothers or, or you know, or, or people who are overlooked for a, a variety of different reasons relating to women? Does that stop? Does that remove a barrier? I don't know whether it does. I don't. Well, I, I think that. Well, I think it depends. Right, you know, if you look at it, it, what are we looking at it in terms of you know standing for office within Labour? Um, is this what you know? Are we looking at it in that one frame? Because I think it has to then come to how the organisation helps to enable people to become involved in in that um, organization. So as we know, if you're gonna stand for office, you know, the, the chances of you getting it selected are your capability to be able to be involved in that organization. What have you been doing to you know, further the cause and what will you do? And I think um, that, that shouldn't necessarily be a barrier, but whether the, the organization that you're gonna represent is then gonna help you and facilitate your capability to be able to do that. And I think I can talk about that as well as a working class woman who, who stood as a parliamentary candidate. It was really financially difficult. Um, I ended up having to give up my job uh, to be able to, to, to do this um, properly. Um, and, you know, for the first, I think it was like for the first year, just over a year, um, 
I still did a full-time job and I, I commuted. Um, it was two hours to work and two hours back. And it was absolutely unbelievably difficult. It had it took a strain on my physical health. It took a strain on my mental health. And I was lucky because I didn't have children, you know. So for me, you know, it's not just about the, um, you know, the whether it was an all-women shortlist as a, an entity in itself. It needed to have a structure around it to be able to support me as a working class woman and me as whether, you know, I had children as well. So no, as a thing on its own, it doesn't just help. It's a tick box exercise, but it's, you know, we still have to look at how we manage to get more people, you know, into organizations. Um, but I think, you know, you, you've got, you know, it's kind of like whether you can get socialism tomorrow or whether you get it, you know, um, whether, you know, you have to build towards it. You've got to try and do what you can to get it. But at the same time, it's not going to be perfect in, in being able to do that, you know, as a as a thing in itself. I think at one point, what socialist think tanks should do, if we ever, like, got to the point where we're not spending all our own money on um, on on doing all this stuff, if we ever, like, got something, that could be something we'd look into, like, like standing and helping working-class candidates do this you know mm. and 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 be able to stand for parliament because how many people do you get who are genuinely working class who stand for parliament you know and i don't think parliament's the be all and end all by no, any stretch no, of the imagination not, but, but people but are think, excluded from it yeah. because if they need to work you can't do it but that's where that's where having and this is you know like the whole platform of me standing was about you know creating um a vibrant, you know, body of people who were going to be active in their area. So it wasn't just reliant on one person and it never should be, whether you're a councillor, whether you're a parish councillor, whatever you, you know, representative you are, you know, if we're talking about the Labour Party, you know, that you should have a team of people that are, it's not about the one person, it's not about an empire, it's not about someone being, oh, you know, you're seen to you know, like we had councillors in, in our area who it was all about that one councillor. It should never be about that. It should be about what Labour, you know, when you wear that Labour rosette, you're not wearing your own rosette, you're wearing the Labour Party rosette. So it should be a collective of people who are working in their community, who regardless of whatever the face is, that people realise that's the Labour Party. You're privileged to be able to be the person to have that rosette on and to have that uh, opportunity to be the the one representative but as a total it should be a group thing it should be you know a lot of people willing to do it and i think that's where you know we're struggling at the moment because of the leadership and the way that they've you know gone down that route you know they've excluded so many people who would be very active within their area so i think we've gone backwards i think we've gone backwards by a long shot um my personal take on what we need uh, and what has been missing for a, for a long time there is no real let's call engine of um professionalism behind candidates that get proposed by labor anymore it used to be behind the unions where there was a hell of a lot of engines a lot of money behind the unions to be able to support all of the candidates yes there is still all of that just not to the degree it used to be so with te technological advancements as i was talking about earlier for stuff like social media and online especially now with covid etc there, there there is hardly any 
engine behind all of that aspect of it, the the PR, let's call it, the something like a leadership team would have, if you know what I mean, where there would be a, a team of four or five people behind them. And you don't see that very much anymore. You see it a, couple, a little bit with certain MPs when you get the right connection of people to be able to accelerate it, but you don't see it throughout uh, the party and, and talking specifically the Labour Party at the moment. Um, to be able to uh, like advance that online in on and the way I see it is what we need to do really is change the space of conversation. So the Tories for a long time have actually manipulated the conversation in such a way that it's to their battleground. And what we need to do, and we've always been lagging behind that technologically. It's it specifically technologically, our institutions in the Labour Party are not keeping up with this. This is the problem. Um, and a lot of the time, I think what we need to do is get on top of that now and then switch it to our advantage, whereby we create and solidify uh, multiple streams of channels of information. So we're not bound to um, media channels and stuff. And that's my personal ambition of what I, I've been trying to do for a long time is put people to people put them to the right people it's it's not about creating that division it's just making sure that your voice is heard just as much as everybody else's is um and making sure that each individual voice is heard it takes a long time to do that because it's a societal change yeah um but i think within the labor party they could help that by creating little teams like what we have now the three to four to five people and then get an engine behind each constituency and say right they're your focus. They're going to literally yeah. produce this, that, and the other and hire them. For example, they need to be paid. They need to be full-time because it is a full-time job. I can tell you that from, from my experience. Um, it, it, just to be able to churn out work. Because at the moment, what we've got is like Labour North. Labour North is a very small team for what it needs to be able to do. And all of its responsibilities was well, a team of like four or five people in, in Labour North. Um, that's just not enough of the uh, the low capacity and the, the electioneering that they need to do. Yeah. So they revolve heavily on like union help and voluntary work and all of that type of stuff. And I just don't think this is feasible. We need to think of something proper around this, of how to be able to get our communication back into the community in a new way, in a, in a way that we've never thought before, because the, the way what we're doing it now is dying out and we need yeah. to think of a new way to do it. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start making the wrap up now. So I'm gonna come to Rochelle first. Um, before after I do a couple of comments here, um, Laura said like basically agreeing that they should stump up the cash for working class women who can't afford the train fare. Um, not to mention the campaign materials. These are the things like it costs you money to campaign within the Labour Party at all before you get to the point and. Yeah, you know, there's money there that they're spending on different things and maybe maybe they could save money by moving outside of London. Maybe there are all sorts of different things they could do. Um, do Conservatives have an all-women shortlist? Surely it's a Labour conversation. Yeah, they don't have all-women shortlists, the Conservatives. But they do pick people based <laughs> upon certain groups. But they'll always pick the person who is like, you know, now we've got a person from this minority and this minority and this minority and therefore they speak for all of them when it's like not how it works. Um, Leanne Powell said it's like being down the pub. Absolutely brilliant, but she's having a herbal tea instead of a pint. <laughs> we aren't drinking herbal tea. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and uh, Mark Lungley says that uh, par- uh, prospective parliamentary candidates need a bursary for the short campaign um, mm-hmm. and a month before it starts so they can give up the jobs or take unpaid leave or whatever. There definitely needs to be something there. Mia Mantry, she agrees with having better representation. It's more about the issue, how the issue is addressed. She would have voted for Mary Foy regardless um, because she agrees with her politics. So, you know, like that's another thing as well. There's so many brilliant women in the campaign that we'd probably vote for anyway. Um, you know, so you don't necessarily need an all-women shortlist, which is what you were saying as well, Tina. Okay, so um, let's go around. Rochelle, any closing comments? Um, with regard to talking about, like, monetary values and bursaries and all that kind of stuff, I think that, if anything, this pandemic has taught us that we can do a lot of things remotely and... I would hope that that was something that they could like endeavor to improve in the future so that we, so the people up north, especially, and by north, I mean like up over of Manchester and Liverpool, there could be MPs and they could deliver whatever they needed to deliver, like online without having to spend all the money to be there in person because you can still deliver the same message. We've seen it on like um, question time, all the kind of stuff. And I do think that's like, Although this has been a horrendous time, some good things have come out of it, and that's one of them. Like monetary is taken away from that. Cool, James. Um, don't have many closing comments other than uh, as usual. Uh, tonight has been uh, full of different opinions, and uh, it, it it has been for me a wide open experience as usual. Uh, thank you for Tina for coming on. Thank you for Michelle for the for the usual comments and Paul for his uh, for his thoughtful insights. Um, the, the the only thing I would say is if if you really like what you see, please do share, like, subscribe, all that type of stuff, and. If you've got time, go visit the website, look at the schedule, see what's coming up, because we've got loads on. It's not just this. Um, and we've got plenty of guests, and hopefully to have many more, like, just like yourself, Dana, bring, come back on, hopefully, at one point. And, yeah, that's my closing comments. Cheers, James. Tina? I would just say, stop with the flags, give me the politics, and if you want political education, there's some on tomorrow, so look for the political education project and and get started, and yeah, yeah, come back, Uh, I'll definitely come back to this, (laughs) if you'll have me. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? It's it, it, I've really enjoyed it. So, um, in my closing comments would be uh, just um, try and support uh, socialist, socialist social media, and all types of media, um, to do with the with the socialist project. We're not going to win it on our own, are we? You know, like you're not going to get the Guardian putting out a nice article <laughs> about how things could be under socialism. So um, it's a privilege to be involved with everyone. Thank you, everyone, for coming on. Thank you for absolutely everyone who's commented, everyone who's watched without commenting. It's really appreciated. 
one of the massive things you can do, as James was saying, is to um, to share things, tell other people about it. That's the way you share. It's like it's like the social media word of mouth, isn't it? Sharing yes. things and yeah. um, and liking and commenting because it does make a massive, massive difference. Adam Peters is someone who's commented a lot, really positively tonight, and I uh, should have mentioned. Um, but didn't because there were so many good conversations going on while his things were coming up. And I was like, I really must mention Adam. So thank you, Adam. Thank you. Uh, I think I've mentioned nearly everyone else personally, nearly everyone else. But um, one of the beauties of this is just being able to interact with you. This kind of show is about talking to you live. We are live. Like we're a few seconds behind, but we, we do we do see what you're saying. Every, every mm-hmm. single person on here is seeing what you're saying. So please do... Um, like, share, and subscribe if you want to. Um, we don't, we don't uh, expect this, but if you wanted to donate something to Socialist Think Tank, it would really, really help. Um, I hate when other people spend the first five minutes of every show saying that you can donate to Socialist Think Tank, and some people are. And we're so, so grateful. And all that does is cover our costs because uh, they are starting to mount up a little bit. But we will continue to do what we're doing, and uh, we hope that you have a lovely night thank you for spending it with us regardless of how you've done that whether you've listened again or whether you've come um whether you've been with us all the way through we really appreciate it so i will look for something to say bye-bye and (laughs) bye-bye take care see you later